Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash hidden, H-I-D-D-E-N. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. So, no strings attached. We're giving you a free book. You've heard us talk about how much we love Audible. Go give them a shot. And once again, promo code HIDDEN for audibletrial.com slash hidden. As always, we are sponsored by Illuminatus. Their pre-rolls are made like no other pre-roll out there. And they come in a sativa and indica blend offering a discreet and satisfying experience every single time. Illuminatus products are always guaranteed to meet all government testing standards, so check them out at IlluminatusBrand.com and on Instagram at Team underscore Illuminatus. David uh, looks a, a touch younger in his uh, bio in the book than he does these days. You know, everybody likes to look young. So, um, part two, David Wilcock. Uh, for those of you who missed round one of the crazy, I believe it's episode 53? 54. 54. So, you can go back and catch up. It's not like it's going to make any more sense. But Yeah, it's not going to make sense at all. But I, if you want to... Listen to it chronologically. I feel like, you know what happened last week is, uh, you know in baseball, like the, the first time the lineup goes through and sees the pitcher? Yeah. And you got to like adjust have, to it? You got to feel him out, yeah. Right, but like David Wilcock is Tim Wakefield. He's All just, he's doing is throwing knuckleballs. He's just up there throwing junk. Yeah, he's just throwing whatever the fuck that is. And I was, I, I got caught off guard last week, so I'm I'm prepared. I tried to warn you. I've I've got my feet planted. I'm waiting. I'm waiting on the pitch to get to the plate. I'm going to fucking knock it out of the park. Now, I think you'll survive this one a little better because well, I take that back. It's <laughs> less on the crazy and more on David's personal semantics, so you may hate him even more. I don't know if that's physically possible for me to increase my hatred of the man at this point. Or dislike of his narcissism. I don't hate yeah, the man. There we, go. we don't I hate dis- the man. We hate the disease. Yes. Love the sinner, hate the sin. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so, with that being said, um, once again, the the reins the reins are in your hand. Um, let's uh, let's fucking jump back into uh, this crazy pond. The mind of a lunatic. Yeah. Uh, so we ended with Artie. Now we we move along. Artie to... was David's uh, seemingly made up roommate, if he, I had to guess. Uh, he was a very convenient friend who seemed to have a lot of memories later in life, and who David told him his dad had probably faked his death. Yeah, and as uh, two people have been following David Wilcock for a while, it seems odd that a guy that would validate this many of uh, David's beliefs. 
had not been mentioned until now. I I never remember him mentioning Artie. Yeah, this is the ever. first. This is the first I uh, recall hearing of him as well. So perhaps we we both mo- missed it over the course of the last decade. But uh, perhaps perhaps it's a uh, convenient development, like a, a Fight Club style persona that David has developed in order to deal with the online hate. Yeah. And PTSD from being bullied in bullied <laughs> high school. What a fucking loser. Yeah, I mean, David's pretty much like the best case scenario for what a school shooter could be. Yeah. It's either school it, shooter or David Wilcock. Uh, like, those are the <laughs> same Those are the same kid in high school. It's just one ends up into aliens and one ends up shooting everybody. Yeah, I guess I could live with my kid being like David Wilcock. It's weird that I have to think about that, where I'm like, uh... Look, uh, if you make as much money as he had, I don't really care what you're doing. You're obviously on to something. He's tapped into his audience. I will give him that. He has his crowd, and he knows how to use them. All right, let, yeah. let's get into this fucking book. I am I'm beyond ready. Well, this is pretty much all you need to know about where things went for David. To have a full spiritual awakening... It is often necessary to first have a very strong break with the material world. Okay. So he had a psychotic break. All right. I kind of agree with that, though. Been there. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Been there, done that. I knew something was wrong when a wasp stung me on the arm shortly (laughs) after my first kiss with my new girlfriend, who was from Japan. (laughs) What? The The wasp's sting was a synchronicity, but not the good kind. I had another bad omen the next day. I was thinking of our new romance while I was at work, and I dropped a hand truck on my foot, causing a painful bruise. <laughs> How do you drop something that, like, you push around on wheels? I don't know, but once why again, is, David, David manages it? to find pain and assume it's coming from something. It It's a way to make sense of, I, I guess, the, the random chaos of the world. It's it's sort of a yeah. I guess it's the reverse of chaos. He assumes there's meaning and order to literally everything. Right. I think it's it's almost like a weird sort of spiritual OCD where everything has to fit neatly within the confines of his created reality. <clears throat> All right, and then back to Artie. Many years later, Artie told me he had a powerful dream in which a being that looked like Jesus appeared to him and said it was important that Artie let me have the room. That year, free of charge, because David had a girlfriend. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> when Artie asked the being why this was necessary, the only answer was that this was an important thing for me to experience, and it would very much help with my spiritual awakening. So David got laid. So he, he had to fuck in order to get closer to God? Yeah, yeah. But Jesus told his roommate that he needed to give David that room free of charge, because David needed to fuck. I, we got to track Artie down. Artie's got to be on the podcast. I hope to God it's just as strung out Artie. Artie Lang. Artie yeah. Lang. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that last episode, but. What the fuck you need me to tell you for? I'll do it for an eight ball of coke. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think, I think Artie is make-believe. Yeah, he's, he seems more and more suspicious as the book goes on. That's just David's, like, pseudonym. Uh, <clears throat> so. Now, Continuing to discuss the idea of the Wanderers, Correct. which are essentially just aliens that decided to willfully 
incarnate in human bodies to raise our consciousness. And if you remember correctly, he said if you'd made it this far into the book, chances are you were likely a wanderer. So welcome, fellow wanderers. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's <clears throat> ascend. Let's wander. <laughs> let's ascend together. So the uh, he discusses the concept of a walk-in, where a person's soul has decided it has done everything it can for this lifetime, usually after a series of increasingly horrible disasters that affected that person's life in seriously negative ways. Since the soul is ready to give up, it then agrees to allow a much more highly advanced extraterrestrial being to walk in after it leaves. Wait, how can I set this up? <laughs> I don't know. I, it sounds awful lot like uh, possession to me, but... I'm totally down to, like, tag team match. I'd, I'd love to fucking tag out for a few minutes and let someone else uh, pilot the ship. Yeah, do they have anybody over there who likes labor? <laughs> yeah, can someone come in uh, Monday through Friday? I'll take like, back over, like, Friday l- afternoon. Yeah, like 9 to 4? Yeah. Uh, the resulting effect on the person is quite profound. Almost overnight, they have a massive spiritual awakening. Everything about how they think, act, and feel suddenly changes. Everything becomes fresh and new, and the problem that once seemed so insurmountable in their lives suddenly becomes easy to fix. As I was reading this, it occurred to me that I might also have an extraterrestrial soul. However, in my case, it seemed that I had always been this way. Not that I had traded a less advanced soul for a more highly advanced one after a series of deeply upsetting events. What is it, a fucking used car? Well, so, <laughs> I'd like to trade in my soul. My soul has 15 years on it. Can well, I? You just don't understand, but David's always had a more advanced soul. He didn't I, need to trade his in. He did kind of throw that in as an aside. Like, yeah. not that I needed to be any uh, any more advanced, but it's possible. Look, folks, I don't mean to brag, but <laughs> yeah. everybody knows I've been an advanced soul since the beginning of my life. I came out of that womb ready to go straight to heaven. Since, since the age of two, as he put in his bio... He's he's been he's been a better than the rest of us since birth. Not today, Satan. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Continuing on asking, uh, he discusses a series of events where his Japanese girlfriend Yumi wakes up in the middle of the night out of nowhere and just turns to him and says like random shit in Japanese. Okay. And, uh, <clears throat> in one of these, she she sat up and said. Uh, said some shit that translated to, you're shining, aren't you? And uh, David goes, I had to ask myself if some spiritual force had come together while she was sleeping to tell me that I was actually glowing with a light on a spiritual level. As I read this book and thought about being an E.T. soul, this was quite the synchronicity, and it also seemed to suggest that I might indeed have an extraterrestrial or angelic soul in a way that most people on Earth do not have. All right, you know what this is? This is just a fuck you to Corey Good. He's going, Corey Good talks to aliens. He's going, I am yeah. an alien. Oh, that's where this goes. The, yeah, David I, leans heavily into I am an alien. Like, what the fuck do I need to talk to the Galactic Federation <laughs> for? I, I am raw. I am the alien. And as David says, it would certainly explain why I always felt like such an outcast. Yeah, that that's would definitely why, be it. That's why he had no friends. It's not true. The fact that you're completely unlikable and have no redeeming qualities, it's probably that you're an alien. Now, on another occasion, she woke up and said, And the next morning, she translated it for me. The phrase was, Look at the new, these new sandals I just bought. <laughs> However, the word she used for sandals was, 
This was a traditional wooden Japanese sandal that she would never have bought in this lifetime. We both wondered if she had, if we had had a past life together. This was further enhanced by another night when she talked in her sleep, patted me on the leg, and called me Obakun. In English, this would be a cute and loving way of calling me Mr. Oba, which clearly was not my name. Oh, shit. <laughs> the old man in my dreams uh -oh. <laughs> had appeared as Obi-Wan Kenobi Ooh. throughout my childhood after I saw Star Wars in 1977. Uh, Obakun was phonetically similar to Obi-Ken. All right, I lied. I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> Perhaps her He's hired... invented a new pitch. He Perhaps... came up with some, some fucking... Uh, what was that one guy who came to the league... Who had that that Asian oh, the, guy? Oh, uh, the fucking the, the the gyro ball. Yeah, the gyro ball. He, he came <laughs> in with the fucking gyro ball. Yeah, perhaps her higher self was tapping into that name somehow, and her soul was saying that I was now on my way, uh, that I was now on my own Jedi type path of sorts. Hear that, or maybe she just talks in her sleep. So he is both an alien and a Jedi. <laughs> He is trained in the martial arts, as he'll tell you. He has, like, a 19th degree black belt from uh, Tai Chi or something that he, he probably just ordered a black belt on Amazon and lies about it. Yeah. David fucks up his back. Then he takes codeine. All right, now we're talking. Nothing. That's when his mixtape came out. Nothing fun out of that. I just <laughs> under underlined it because it was funny. Uh, <clears throat> let's see. Oh, here's a... Uh... Here's one of his other stories related to Yumi, and it turns out Yumi is not an ordinary person either. Uh, however, Yumi <laughs> brought back be? one particularly, this is after she goes back to Japan, one particularly remarkable prophecy. While visiting her relatives, Yumi showed a picture of me to her family psychic, a renowned Shinto priest. This woman was very famous for her psychic accuracy, which went far beyond the capabilities of the average intuitive. It wasn't at all uncommon for people to be reduced to tears as the, as the priestesses told them things she could not possibly have known from any conscious level. Normally it was far too expensive and her schedule was much too busy to see this woman more than once a year. But Yumi's parents had formed a unique bond with her that was unlike that of any other clients. Yumi had given the priestess three different cities where she could go to school. And the priestess was the one who said it was very important that she go to New Paltz, New York. Yes, <laughs> the most sacred of cities. The priestess all It's the New Jerusalem. The priestess had already told Yumi that she had the gift if she wanted to develop it, and that she could become just as powerful a psychic as the priestess was. I told Yumi that she would be crazy not to study with this woman and learn everything <laughs> she could, but Yumi was afraid of all the right, whole it, thing. It's sentences like that why I love them. Like You'd be fucking crazy not to become a psychic. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, She's a renowned <laughs> Shinto priest. How could you pass this up? Of course you've got to learn to predict the future. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I love that he's like, what do you mean you're not going to go? Yeah, this, I mean, how else do you become a psychic? You got It's like any other job. You got to apprentice and work for free. Oh, and it gets better. When Yumi reunited with the priestess that winter, she showed her a Polaroid of the two of us together. The priestess took one look at my face in the picture and said, Big fucking forehead. This man is going to become a very famous <laughs> spiritual leader. Very famous spiritual leader. Oh, uh, well. I guess. I. It seems like he's uh, setting up convenient lies to explain why he formed a church recently. 
You know what he's really starting to remind me of and how he's doing his lying is the Donald. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, my girlfriend Yumi, she went to Japan. She <laughs> went with a Shinto priest, one of the best Shinto priests you can find, actually. I'm going to be uh, a great man. <laughs> she showed her a picture and that, that uh, priestess took one look. One look was all it took, folks. She took one look and said, this man, this man's going to be very famous. He's going to be a very famous man indeed. He, this book is just all, he's lying. It really should be called I'm Not Bragging. He, he's starting a new chapter of his journey with this, like, with him forming a church. Like, that's, that's some completely other shit. But the problem is, he didn't set the backstory for that for the last 20 years. He, he set up the world was going to end eight years ago. And then he set up the pedophile shit was going to happen. And that didn't happen either. So now now he's at a sort of weird impasse where he doesn't have the backstory necessary to continue down the path that he has picked. So this book <clears throat> is sort of a retro fitting. He's retconning. He's retconning his past in order to fit in with the timeline of his future. Yeah, he's pulling a Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a DC after they fucked their comic books up. But, yeah, uh, this is all fucking nonsense. Like, why was none of this mentioned before? So I, I've read I've it heard as Yumi, but <clears throat> I've read it as him kind of leaning into the Edgar Casey stage of his career. He is trying to go back to that. He's yeah. trying to go back. He talks about it a bunch in this, in what we're kind of cover, and I think that's kind of where he's leaning into, because. Uh, I don't think he's got any real insiders anymore. I think anybody he might have actually had as a contact is probably not talking to him. Bailed on him after the fucking disaster that was Gaia. Now, yeah. I will say, if we are getting into Edgar Casey today... um, We're not going to get into him too much, but after this, I probably will have to do a, more of a deep dive on him just well, quickly, to understand David more. Quickly, I'd, I'd like to say, uh, Edgar Casey Institutes and Museums still exist. Um. As far as I'm aware, David went to the, like, Edgar Casey Institution. Edgar Casey, of course, the, the renowned mystic from back in the day, after he died, he said he knew people would come back and claim to be him. Kind of mm -hmm. like a Harry Houdini-type situation. Like the Buddha. Yeah. So they left questions for the person to answer. If they were the reincarnated version of him, they could answer the question. Uh, David failed that test. As he did most tests in his life. Yes. So him still claiming to be the reincarnation when the guy himself would say he's not the reincarnation. You were not the one. Yeah. He's just lying. Well, not lying, but... Uh, he doesn't talk about that, at least un at least he hasn't yet. <laughs> I mean, he would never talk about failing, uh, <clears throat> but failing the exam that would prove his whole grift to be false. No, he talks pretty thoroughly about getting rejected from a school a little later on, but <laughs> we'll get there. It's in a completely different school. But this next part, I don't know why he included in the book. It's very weird, and it makes him look very strange. Uh, let me start. The little part in this chapter is called, Now Stop Murdering. Okay. The date was January 30th, 1995. At the time, I was happy to blame Yumi for everything that was going wrong in our relationship. Piece of shit. <laughs> in my dream, she had been murdered. As I said in the dream analysis chapter, you always want to begin by seeing every character as some part of yourself. In this case, Yumi could represent my feminine side. 
If you have murders in your dreams, you always want to begin by looking at how you may be sabotaging yourself and your relationships by doing things you may well be able to prevent. Uh-huh. Continuing on, he says uh, he investigates how she had been murdered. Much to my surprise and in terror. In his dream. He's, he's yes. playing detective in his dream. Yes. He's investigating her murder. <laughs> Send this off to the lab. Now, much to my surprise and terror, in every crime scene I found evidence suggesting that I had been there myself. Oh, shit. In fact, as I continued doing this research, I was the only person who could be connected to, the, to every crime scene. I was the only person who could... Oops, excuse me. By the end of the dream, I was convinced I must have been the one who had committed the murder even though I had no conscious memory whatsoever of doing it. Now, we got a little bit of a problem, because if he believes uh, the dream world is the real world, you don't get to pick and choose what is and isn't real. Yes. So in this case, he's a murderer. Yes. Yes. So... Investigating his own crimes, as in, what if these books represent the murders... And he's yet to investigate how he committed such atrocities. Maybe I gotta learn to astral project so I can place him under arrest in... In, in his dreams? Yes, in the different realms. Put your fucking hands up! I have to I have to meet him on his turf. Like Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I just don't know why you would write this part into the book. The part where you have dreams of murdering your girlfriend? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Not only of her being murdered, but that you investigate it and find out it's you who's <laughs> doing the murdering. I just, I don't know what that contributed to his cause. Uh, about 50 pages closer to hitting the word limiter. Now, don't get me wrong, <laughs> like, this whole chapter's almost pretty much about how he just tried to dump Yumi. So, I, I guess. Is he an adult? Like, can he... I think he was emotionally stunted from the PTSD. Oh, from all the bullying. I, I yes. keep forgetting, yes. Yes. What most people don't know, he went to high school in Iraq during the, during the invasion and suffered severe <laughs> post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay, now here he, uh, in two years later in 97, he begins doing uh, hypnosis training. Oh, Jesus. Or getting hypnosis by a trained therapist to try to unlock some of these memories. Uh-oh. Uh, now, in the original dream, I had no recollection of killing her. But this dream allowed me to remember murdering Yumi. In this memory, she had been a man living in rural Japan, and I had been a woman. Uh. I was getting repeatedly violated by him after he would come back from long fishing trips, reeking of fish. <laughs> Eventually, in distress, I got some poison from an old woman in town and put it in the soy sauce for his rice after he came home, reeling drunk on Sasuke. On sake, excuse me. What the fuck? The woman said his death would be peaceful. But in fact, he fell to the ground in violent convulsions, with foam coming out of his mouth. It was absolutely horrific. I ran out the door into the night, terrified and traumatized, with bare feet. It was pounding rain, and there was a powerful wind. I ran blindly across a footbridge that connected our mountaintop to another nearby mountain, stretching across a deep, rocky chasm. My foot slipped on the rain-saturated bridge, and I plunged to my death in a sickening fall. So he... Wait, but if you... Die in dream reality, do you? I just like that he dreamt that he was getting raped as a woman. And then decided to poison someone's soy sauce? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so his girlfriend was a man raping him, so he poisoned his girlfriend, who's a man, with soy sauce in his soy sauce <laughs> after he came back drunk from a fishing trip. Smelling like fish. 
Yeah, and then he <laughs> slipped off a mountain and fell and died. Yeah, what, see, a, what a horrifying... That's a nightmare. That's not a dream. These are things most people uh, forget 45 seconds after waking up. Not something most people include in their fifth written novel. I would wake up and be horrified if I remembered this. That's terrifying. I'm sure... He, he just dreamt he was getting raped. Yeah, I think uh, I think you can take the dream analysis in a bit of a different direction on that one than uh, him being murdered. I, I think him being repeatedly violated. Now, if he claims to be a rape victim because he got raped in his dreams, that's that's going to be one step too far. If if he's got PTSD from high school and he's a fucking Me Too victim because he got raped in the astral plane. He's going to claim everything. Uh, <laughs> that's the next, that's his, that's got to be his failsafe, his victimhood. I mean, it, it was in his resignation letter from Gaia. He called them all Luciferians. Well, like, maybe they were. Yeah, so he, he he's been a constant victim. I guess. Yeah, he's really playing it up in this one, though. Yeah, people just don't understand his genius. The genius of uh, thinking dreams are real. Yeah, he gets there. He gets there. Oh, you're going to love his college interview. Uh, let's see. In another dream from January 31st, 1997, before I had the regression experience, I saw myself as an Asian woman. This dream happened shortly after I had broken up with Yumi on the telephone and it was admittedly a messy like a breakup. True man. <laughs> oh, he really talks about how he was just trying to wait for her to leave to break up with her because she was going back to Japan. Yeah, he <laughs> what a bitch. <laughs> he pushed out so bad. It's so funny some of the things he thinks was a good idea to put in here. Uh, let's see. My roommate Eric was not at all with me, was not happy at all with me for how I handled it, but I felt like I needed to be tough. Shout it, out Eric. In the dream, I was smelling a <laughs> bottle of soy sauce and then was repelled by it as if there was clearly a dangerous chemical added to the brew. All right, did fucking Kikoman sponsor this chapter or something? Immediately after dictating this strange dream, I did a psychic reading where an entire sentence fragment came through that was almost all in Japanese, except the words, No good. <laughs> I did my best to speak the syllables I was hearing, having no idea whether they would mean anything. What I wrote down was, Yatsu wo ogoshi, no good. Mo yame koroshi. I needed to have my housemate's Japanese girlfriend, Yoriko, translate what I had heard. The translated phrase read, Threatening him. No good. Now stop murdering. <laughs> this was one of the most shocking things that had ever happened to me at the time. Surprisingly, I had been able to listen to the Japanese clearly enough that I had made only one minor mistake in translating what I was hearing into written Stop phonetic syllables. Stop fucking bragging. You just don't understand. He just it's like <laughs> he only made one mistake and he doesn't even know Japanese. Surprisingly, I was only Yeah, uh, fuck you, David. Yeah, phonetic <laughs> spelling works for a reason. Yeah. Also, it's like I don't think you drew like the kanji symbols, like you just wrote letters. Yeah, you just wrote down how it sounded in English. He didn't suddenly get hit in the head and learn a new language. Uh, oh, and just a footnote. Eventually, he reconnects with Yumi uh, with her on a tour of Japan in 2002 and apologized to her for murdering her in another lifetime. She just <laughs> laughed and told me it was okay and that she had had a very happy life now. Jesus. She must have in her head went, thank God I got away from Thanks. him. 
Dear Lord, thank you. Woo, I dodged a bullet. <laughs> I I dodged. The white man truly is the devil. <laughs> I fucking dodged. Yeah. She must he, be so happy. It would have torpedoed her fucking life. Could you imagine bringing him home to your conservative Japanese parents and in, trying? No, but Japan, Asian parents in particular who are known to be very conservative and you bring home David D- Wilcock. David Wilcock and he's trying to like read the future in your tea leaves. And, Sir, what did you dream about last night? Yeah, I'm sorry I hurt you in another realm. <laughs> Sir, I murdered your girlfriend in, in a dream, but it was really just me trying to tell myself how I was feeling about... <laughs> yeah, like, I could, I would just... Yumi, <laughs> what the fuck were you, what, what were you thinking? No, no. I was like, well, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a musician I'm who, a uh... consciousness expert <laughs> slash UFO. No. no. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to develop superpowers in my dream state so I can, yeah, like, I, there's there's no good way to paint. You me, you have ashamed us all. <laughs> uh, all right, moving on. Now back to David. Okay. Dreams of future success in the UFO field. Oh, of course. I found out later that my father had lost his main paying job as the host of a radio show and was indeed thrown into a deep financial crisis. At the time the dream came, I had no conscious knowledge of this. So he had a dream where his dad was broke, and it turns out his dad was broke. Seems like you'd be at least semi-aware of that. At Is he still at, like, college age here? Uh, yes, yes, from February 95. Yeah, I feel like by, like, age 10, I now, had a pretty good understanding of my family finances. The way I understand it is this was, like, his first year in college, so I think something happened in between there where they started going broke. <laughs> Because remember, he was riding for the Rolling Stone in the 60s. Oh, that's right. He was meeting all the rock stars and introducing them. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, So continuing on. So his dad's a victim of the iPod. He was a fucking disc jockey. He got fucked over by Steve Jobs. Yeah, pretty much. He got replaced. So then in another dream, uh, to David's great surprise, there's a young African-American girl who had been watching him run through this obstacle course. Second black person in the book. As I said earlier, people of other races tend to represent extraterrestrials or angelic forces. Okay, that seems a bit racist. So in this case, the girl represented some aspect of my higher self that wanted to help me break this unfortunate and repetitive pattern. So David dreams he's a young black girl. Uh, I... I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know anymore. I don't. I. I don't know why he is what he is. Uh, our next mention of Corey Good. Twenty years later, in 2015, I discovered that my friend and insider Corey Good had heard about a group of blue-skinned, gray-style extraterrestrials who had met with President Eisenhower in the 1950s. These would be the blue avians, I take it? So that's what I thought, but the way he describes them here is they're like blues, or like grays, but they're blue. Confusing. Yes. Very confusing. I thought he was going to say blue avians too, but no, he just says take the grays and turn them blue. Now, I believe Corey Good did copyright the phrase blue avians, so I'm not sure if David Wilcox allowed to use that right now. I was wondering, because he always describes Corey Good in this book as his friend. So, at the very least, they have a non-aggression pact. They're, yeah, they're lying like a motherfucker. Because if you look up any of the most recent videos... Yeah, they're not on good terms. They, yeah, the if you read the vibe in the room, they are 
they're not fucking with each other. Which is why I found it interesting, because I underline every time he mentions Corey, but it's always been in a good light, so I guess maybe they at least decided, hey, let's not fuck anyone's money up. I think probably. Maybe it's a sort of mutually assured destruction type thing, where it's like... That's true, you spill, I spill? Yeah, if one, if one person's going down, everyone's going down, why fuck up everyone's money? Yeah. But, uh, so the secret government programs called these particular beings the Blues... Apparently, these ETs had offered Eisenhower a deal. If we agreed to stop all development of nuclear weapons and destroy our stockpiles, we would be given amazing technologies that would transform life on Earth as we knew it. Like Velcro. End poverty, disease, and hunger, and save the planet. You know, Velcro is pretty fucking cool. I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) It is. I like the first time you showed that to someone, they probably went, no fucking way. Do it again. Yeah, like that is especially you ever done like the wall where you can climb yeah. on Velcro. Yeah, like maybe we just severely underestimate how incredible Velcro is. Maybe Velcro. Yeah, we we should explore the aliens that come down possible like uses. You guys use this for shoelaces? <laughs> what the fuck is what wrong with fuck? you? We build we fucking build spaceships with this shit. What are you doing? <laughs> fucking it all away. Yeah. Oh, I I was just imagining them having to come down right now. And just someone walking up and being like, alien lives don't matter. Yeah. Only black lives matter. Go go back to <laughs> go your back, country. Yeah, go back to fucking whatever space star solar system you're from. Oh, we have a we have a triple one here. Another next paragraph. My scientific work, such as in the source field investigations and the synchronicity key, clearly shows that the universe is indeed alive and conscious, the product of a vastly intelligent design. So David quotes two of his own books in one sentence. Two of his own books to prove his point in a third book. God, That's, what a douche. He's really nailed uh, that particular move. Is sort, uh, citing himself as if it was a legitimate move? Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to graduation. As I headed toward the end of the semester, I knew I was going to graduate with a bachelor's degree in psychology as my grades were fine. Oh, okay. Now... David has a plan to apply to the Naropa Institute in Boulder, which is like a woo-woo artsy school, Okay, from what I understand. Okay, yeah, I've never heard of it. Prophetic warnings. I had already had a prophetic prophetic dream that suggested this plan was not going to work out well. (laughs) That's just the first sentence. Uh... Okay, so he's writing... Oh, I'll give you the whole story this Some good self-aggrandizing shit. Break it down for me. I sat down to write my admissions letter sometime in May 1995 and started to write about all the earth changes that were visible at that time. Again, Kobe, Japan had a 6.9 earthquake on January 17, 1995 that had caused over $100 billion in damages, killing 6,000 people and making 45,000 more homeless. That was just one example that hit close to home, since Yumi was from Japan. It had been a sunny day when I started writing. As I continued describing the ongoing collapse of our society and the incredible problems that we faced as a planet, a storm suddenly appeared, seemingly out of nowhere. Of course it did. Before I even had time to figure out exactly what was happening, a savage wind started resting the trees, causing them to reel back and forth. The sky darkened. Thunder started booming. Then rain began cascading down in sheets. The next thing I knew, a huge flash of light appeared almost at the exact same moment that a tremendous bang of thunder exploded outside. It, has he never seen rain before? Lightning must have struck something right near my dormitory like a telephone pole. It's a All safe of a sudden, bet. 
My computer was dead and the power was out. Oh, sweet jeez. His Apple C2? I lost everything. Oh, no. I had been writing as I had not yet hit save. I had unfortunately forgotten the classic nerd saying, he who saves first laughs last. <laughs> that, what a devastating way for his Apple C2 to go out. At the time, I did not see that all the thunder, lightning, and pouring rain, as well as the loss of my written work, was actually a synchronistic warning that this trip to Colorado was not going to go well. At all. Which is ironic, because he ends up back in Colorado for Gaia. And it also does not end well. He so, didn't listen to his own prophetic warnings. Yeah. Maybe Colorado's not the, the spot for you, David. Okay. So we move back on to... uh. So far, can I just say, all this info is just, who gives a fuck? That's pretty much this whole part. It's yeah, all like personal it, information. It, but it gets pretty funny. But not even, like... There's nothing to do with ETs. It's just how David became so great. But it's not even, like, pertinent info. It's like, I had a dream about poisoning soy sauce. Okay. And yeah. then I had a dream where I was a woman, and I, I fucked a guy who smelled like fish. Uh, okay, <laughs> Why, what, what point is he driving at here? Uh, is is there, like, a finish line, or is he just fucking, like... It's pretty much... Extemporaneously filling pages. It's pretty much him describing how he had to go through shit. What is it? Because he does, what is it called, automatic writing? Yes. Where you just sit there and start channeling, that's, you write whatever comes to you first? Yes, that's one of the things he does as well. That's what this sounds like. This sounds like he just sat down and fucking... Just auto-typed? James Joyce, that shit. Just fluid consciousness. Wouldn't surprise me at all, really. Yeah, the only problem was James Joyce was a genius, and uh, David Wilcock, uh, not so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like the rappers who think they don't have to write their lyrics down, and it's like... No, like, Jay-Z and Kanye and, like, Biggie can do that, but uh, you might want to use a pencil and paper, bud. Yeah, he's he's Chief Keef to the uh, the Tupacs and Biggies. Yes. Now, Artie is over, and uh, Yumi has one of her experiences when she wakes up. Uh, David says, Yep, that's one of those things that happens, I told Artie. Some force had been using Yumi to give me messages. Tomorrow, she won't remember a thing. This is obviously another Ascension message. I believe some part of her is saying that we are glowing with light on a spiritual level right now, just like we might end up doing one day if we are lucky enough to ascend. So, so this divine th messengers speak to David through Japanese women. So he, this woman was so important that she was giving him messages about how he was going to obtain greatness. Mm-hmm. But he was also such a fucking bitch that he broke up with her. Yes. Essentially by just waiting for her to move away and then calling her. Yes. Seems incongruous to me. Seems it's, like... Uh, it's a lot of very convenient plot lines coming together. Huh. Almost like he's making it up. Nah. I wouldn't go... As far as to just say blatantly making it up, I would say 
conveniently fabricating a narrative that was vaguely... It's like when you see a movie that's loosely based on a true story. Yeah. And by loosely, they mean, like, the names are real. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there was a guy called David Wilcock. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much that. All right, let's, let's keep it chugging. <clears throat> so after graduation, if I didn't go to graduate school, I would have... N- I would have to enter the working world, and nothing was more terrifying to me than that. I knew that a bachelor's degree in psychology was not very useful unless you went on to get a master's or a doctorate. What about uh, Asian girlfriend interpretation? Was Is there a job where he can interpret Asian people's dreams? Yeah, that's what he aims to major in at this college. You'll find out. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I knew I would end up living in extreme poverty and lose most of the freedom I had enjoyed in college life. Join the rest of us. No good jobs were available in New York State for anyone who graduated with only a bachelor's degree in psychology. No, you were just bad at it. I mean, he's right. Like, you can go teach, like, high school psychology with that degree, and that's about it. Well, it also doesn't help when you're a fucking nut job. Like, you can find work, but maybe during the job interview, if I'm like, hey, uh, what do you think about this? And then you start talking about how aliens are giving you fucking warnings in your dreams. You're foreshadowing big time. You're not getting hired. You're foreshadowing big time. You're going to be horrified. Again, more synchronicities. In fact, there's a part in here that you're going to relate to very directly with David. Okay. I hope to connect with David. I don't want, after last week... I I I wanna I wanna reconnect with my man, but yes. I'm finding it uh, increasingly difficult. All right, so Yumi leaves and he begins sobbing. He cries a lot in this. this Wait, chunk. he wanted to break up with her. Yeah, but he's a bitch. <laughs> That's, so can a, we just make that the the title of this episode? <laughs> David Wilcock, 2020, Part Two. He's yeah, a bit he's of a, a bitch. bitch. <laughs> uh, so. You mean, now this was a little unrealistic. She wanted him to wait three years. You know how much pussy David could get in three years? Uh, zero. <laughs> zero pussy. <laughs> so that's kind of what he uses his excuse. Uh, he uses another one of his actual references here. The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. <laughs> I don't know what it was. I just underlined it. Okay, that's one of his cited sources, his 500 cited sources or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I guess the... General brief story is it's about some, like, prophet who goes back to his hometown and questions whether or not he needs to be a prophet. But uh, David says, The spiritual forces wanted me to realize that the character in the prophet was a metaphor for myself, as well as my own imminent departure from Naropa in Boulder, Colorado in a few days' time. So David's just a prophet, you know. Yeah. Living that prophet's life. Going through that struggle. As all prophets must. In fact, I didn't consider myself a prophet at the time, so the whole thing was a mysterious but obviously meaningful synchronicity. The implication that he is now a prophet. (laughs) Backdating things doesn't work. How can you just... But you don't understand. It's not backdating to him. This is the proper direction. You go backwards to go forwards. Past determines present right but i can be a prophet of the past because i know what happened in the past well then start prophetizing (laughs) the more impressive thing would be saying shit that's going to happen well shit that he gets there he gets there in part two we just okay we're taking our time i mean that'll be next week's uh breakdown i i i think so actually i think so okay 
Uh, let's see. So David decides to take the train from Schenectady, New York, all the way to Denver. Crucial details. Now, I've taken the train from Provo, Utah to Stockton, and that was a 15-hour train ride. Yeah, trains suck. That fucking sucked. Uh, David's trip... As he immediately says, on the very first night, I realized that the train was a horrible idea. Uh, let me, give me a second. I need to find out how long it was. I think it was like a 40-hour train ride. Yeah, sounds about right. And, I mean, he talks about how he saved like $100 by doing this. By switching to Geico? Like, what? what is he getting at? Uh, he doesn't really get at anything with that, to be honest with you. <laughs> he just wants to let everyone know he took a train and saved some money. I I don't know what books he was reading recently, but I assume it was somebody high on superfluous details. Yeah, he might have gone old Stephen King or something. Uh, another reference to The Watchers by Raymond Fowler, who explored the classic Betty Andreessen uh, abduction case. It's another one of his... References, and he says on page 202 of the paperback edition, Betty (laughs) was told that those ETs call themselves the Watchers. They explain that they are responsible for taking care of the Earth. He's talking about the Greys. Uh They claim to feel a love for the Earth that is constant and lasts forever. They have supposedly been storing the genetic seed of humans from Earth for hundreds and hundreds of years, as well as every species and gender of plant for the same length of time. That way, if anything were ever to happen to us, the seed of human life on this planet would not be lost. So the greys are Moses. Well, hence the abductions. That's what they're doing. They're trying to, it's like the seed bank in the Netherlands. Yeah, they're stealing your your, your cum. Yeah, the aliens are here to steal our cum. But for good reason. Yeah, it's, it's the most uh, selfless reason to steal cum. Exactly. Uh, and then going, continuing on with this... Uh, from the Watchers, uh, he does a quote here talking about how the living descendants of northern people are groping in the universal darkness. Their mother mourns a dark o- occasion forebodes when weakness in high places will revive a high cost of living, an interval of mistakes in high places, an interval fit for distressing events. This is a very clear indication that conca- Caucasians, the living descendants of the northern peoples, are almost completely deactivated spiritually in the modern world as are most other people's. Now, I thought that was interesting in light of the Nick Cannon shit, because it sounds very much like the (laughs) white people don't have enough melanin, so they're savages. That does sound very black Israelite-y. Right? If David's a black Israelite, we're back to being friends. Because he only says Caucasians. Yeah. Now, did he do that because... He's trying to seem woke. I was about to say, because those are the only people you can say that about right now? precisely why. Because if you say all people, you're going, oh, you're saying black people are less than white people? Yeah. But yeah, I just underlined that in the wake of recent events, and I was like, that's a little Nick Cannon-ish. You know who else uh, tried to appeal uh, to black people when they were uh, starting their church? Hmm. Uh, Jim Jones was really big on... (laughs) I'm I'm not drawing a comparison... But I, I am saying, you know, the man started a church. He's he's trying to appeal to the African-American folks. Look, if David starts a church, I'll be the first. I'll be Paul, motherfucker. I'm right there. He's he's already started it. I think we got a... Well, I mean a real church. Yeah, not just a, a if tax, he, if a he tax wants loophole. To, if he wants to commit to it. 
But now we do actually have some interesting uh, alien information. Okay, finally. Let's get Which, and some this was, disclosure going on in this bitch. This was the first time I had heard this, because this is discussing how the greys could come into being. Another surprise for me in The Watchers was that we, what we think of as allegedly extraterrestrial greys could actually be grown from our own human DNA. Grown? Grown. Wow. Fowler's research revealed that if an ordinary human fetus were grown to adulthood outside the womb and retained its form along the way, it would look just like a typical gray ET. How the fuck could you possibly know that? I don't know. That's according <laughs> according to Raymond Fowler, the medical name for this phenomenon, if it were if we were able <laughs> if we were able to achieve it would be a neonate. N E O N A T E. Isn't with, that, uh, I mean, we have that. We have neonatal care. Like, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm going to guess the guy he's talking about is not an actual doctor. No, no, no. I kind of doubt it. You oh, can, okay. You okay. can look it up, look him up in a second. I'll, this I'll shit, give you the name. This shit terrifies me when he starts talking about doctors. Cause, well, first of all, his definition of doctor is very fucking loose. It's uh, The Watchers by Raymond Fowler, if you want to Google the, it. The idea that I could be at a hospital receiving treatment. And, and this dude shows up. And my doctor thinks that babies, if you cut them out of the womb soon enough, develop into gray aliens. Yeah, here he goes. Without the pressure of the womb, the larger eyes and head of the fetal form would remain larger in proportion to the body, which would be thin. What so, was this guy's name again? I'm sorry. Raymond Fowler. Fowler. I'm, I wanted to put the Raymond watchers. Felton. But I think Raymond Felton's a basketball player. I'd never accuse Raymond of this. He won a championship. Uh, no, the only thing he's got on his uh, list is he is a UFO researcher. Okay, so he's, he's 86, a... so if we want to get him on the show, we better do it soon so yeah. we can insult the man shortly before he dies. No, I want to... We'll just do it before and after he dies. <laughs> oh, so now we get into David's interview, his college interview. Uh, like entrance interview? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. And I'm going to read a lot of this because this is the worst college interview I think I think you could ever have. Um, now, uh, all right, hold on. Before before we continue, I perhaps some people didn't go through this process. Did you have uh, you a had a college, college interview? interview? Right? I no, I just had my bishop's interview. You just because you went to BYU. Mm -hmm. I I had to do the bishop interview for my normal college. I did not have an interview for for graduate school. I did have an interview. Actually, I had like three separate interviews. For the most part, and this was for a medical program. It was fairly normal. They just they want to talk to you and make sure you're not fucking nuts. Is basically yeah. They can't have a school shooter. Right. They the questions were not very rarely did they touch on like my knowledge base. There there were some vague questions that wanted to make sure like I wasn't a complete fucking idiot. But for mm -hmm. the most part, you're just having a conversation with someone for ten minutes and they just want to make sure, like you said, that you're not gonna come in fucking yeah. James Holmes the the whole school. Yeah. I'm gonna guess David did not do well in that situation. Uh, he doesn't know when to pull pull back on the thrust. It was more his pretentiousness, I think, that gets him. You'll be able to judge okay. after. All right. So uh, this school apparently teaches, like, meditation and mandatory yoga and shit. So in my interview, the admissions officer asked me if I had a daily meditation practice, if you want to know what this school is like. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew from their literature that they considered this a requirement for anyone who was applying. I can't remember whether the minimum standard of time they wanted you to meditate each day was a half hour or an hour. They wanted you to do a sitting meditation every day where you did nothing but sit in a contemplative state with your eyes closed. I'd have crushed that class. An hour a, a hour a day of meditation is a That's long a lot. fucking time. That's a lot. I, yeah. I almost never crossed like the 20 minute mark. Yeah, and it's sitting there for an hour, unless it's broken up into multiple sessions. That's uh, yeah, yeah. that's pretty intense. That's, that's like, a nap. Yeah, that's like advanced level meditation. Yeah, I've only done that like a handful of times, and I always feel like I'm wasting time at that point. Yeah, there's only so much insight I can gain before I got to go take a piss. Yeah. Uh, so David says this was never my preferred style of meditation. Uh, David prefers concentrative meditation where you intensely focus on one thing for prolonged periods. So literally the exact opposite of meditation, where you're supposed to sort of clear your headspace. I can see one where you sit and think on an issue, but I think the key to meditating is you need to be sitting in a stationary position. Because I've done that where I can focus on one thing and try and run through scenarios and whatnot when I'm game planning. I can do that if it's just one particular thing. And still get the same experience. See, I don't view that as meditation. To me, that's that's something else. To me, meditation is not... Well, I can do it to turn the brain off, but I can use it to... It's I could call it contemplative meditation. Yeah, I... I it's not an active, like, constant thinking. It's more of a letting the sub-processors do it yeah. and formulating a plan. Yeah, sometimes that just sort of happens naturally. But my if you're normal sitting, but normal meditation is yeah, you just turn the brain off. Yeah, you gotta let uh, as thoughts arise, you just let them go. You're so I can I can get the other one occasionally, but yeah, meditation in its purest form is yeah, turning your head off. Yeah, let let the thoughts flow like water. Uh, let's see. So he in his admission letter that he'd already sent. He lists about 300 books that he had read about UFOs. Oh, no, he said the fucking book list. And other paranormal topics during college. Oh, man, does he love that fucking book list. And also presented a fresh copy of the list when I arrived. Uh- <laughs> I challenged the admissions officer to name any book on that list, and I would immediately give him a summary of the book's contents and how it rep- related to what I hope to learn from getting my degree at Naropa Univer- Institute. Well... I can't imagine why he wasn't accepted. Right? Like, that's that's how this interview opens. Here's a lit... These are the books I've read. Ask me anyone, I'll give you a definite... I'll give you a summary. And they're all about fucking nut job shit. I don't even think it was the content that mattered. I mean, this is a school that requires meditation. Yeah. That, I think it's more it, the arrogance of saying, here's all the books I read. Ask me about any. Yeah. I keep track of all knowledge I take in so I can impress other people. Yeah. Not just a reference like this is what I studied independently. Just like, ask me about it. I dare you. <laughs> he's obtained knowledge of self with no awareness of self. Yeah. It's, he's taking uh, in the information, but it's uh, not being applied. Yeah. No, not, not in the least. My biggest goal at the time was developing the hyperdimensional physics model linking it to spirituality and exploring the role that extraterrestrials might be playing in human evolution and ascension. Now, call me crazy, but if you want to do something involving physics, maybe you should have studied physics in college. Yeah, but he's connecting it to spirituality. 
but if you're going to use physics, you still got to know how to use like. Yeah, but if do... you get a physics degree and you show up and you're like, I want to study this spiritual hyperdimensional model of physics, <laughs> MIT is going to fucking be like, get the fuck out. <laughs> he, he, they wouldn't even allowed him on the grounds. Yeah, that and <laughs> could you imagine him passing even a just a bachelor's in physics? No, and that's my point. Is that yeah. he, he has zero fucking chance? Well, but if you do spirit, if you do psychology into, into hyperdimensional spiritual models, uh, hyperdimensional made up physics. Well, most physics is made up to an extent. It's yeah, just, when when you get to make up your own math, I guess it's hard to be wrong. Uh, yeah, spiritual math, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, spirit. It's not like spiritual math's a real thing. So I don't know. You like, of course, he's right. Well, all of his. Titles aren't real. That's what I love about the man. He's he invents his own titles <laughs> to make himself sound important. And then the whole time he talks about how you got to be egoless in order to ascend. Yeah. And he's inventing titles and doctorates for himself. Yeah, totally, totally listening to what he's saying. Like it's just yes. the The words seem to echo off a cavernous chamber, and they, they just never get back to him. Like yeah. he he doesn't apply. He, it's like if Buddha did all this shit opposite of what he said. Yeah, if Buddha was just like pounding booze yeah, and just, fucking addicted to everything. Just doing smoking crack, fucking whores. Yeah, telling people to go fuck themselves. Just no, punching you, women. You must meditate. Yeah, you must be calm and meditate. So the only real sign of trouble I had in the interview, other than perhaps being too honest about the exact nature of my meditation practice was that the officer never bothered to answer my challenge. He had zero interest in accepting my offer, and seemed to be mildly insulted when I, try when I again tried to convince him to take the challenge. <laughs> was it a fucking the Pepsi challenge? So what a fucking pretentious brat he was. Yeah, so he would have been, what, about 21, 22 at this point? Yeah, 22, 23. And he walks in and demands that the professor perform the challenge he wants? Multiple times? Yeah. It's uh not not thinking that like hey maybe this dude has his own questions, yeah maybe the guy doing the interview had an idea of uh, how he wanted to do his job. Also, David, why didn't you just fucking lie about the meditation? You dumb twat! <laughs> you could have just said yeah I meditate exactly like that every day. Yeah, it's that's not all that you had difficult. to do. It's very easy, man. You know who lies. In college interviews, everyone, everyone, every single fucking person <laughs> every, who's ever done it. Yes, everyone who's ever been interviewed has bent the truth at least a little. God fucking damn it, David. Yep. Then he also talks about how we talk about with honesty, how I would pay for the education. Because remember, <laughs> <laughs> uh, his parents aren't doing so hot. Right, but, his uh, dad's been fired from the radio. He said, I was very lucky in that my paternal grandfather had pledged full financial support for my tuition to go to graduate school. Papa wasn't thrilled about my education coming from a metaphysical institute, but he felt that any advanced degree was better than nothing. All right, I'm going to flip this around. You can't claim to be broke and going through the struggle uh, when grandpapa is going to pay for your fucking graduate's degree. Mm -hmm. That's not cheap. No. No, if you got someone willing to cough up twenty grand even yeah. on your behalf, yeah. you're not broke. Yeah. I told the officer how Papa had graduated top of his class <laughs> at Harvard, <laughs> that he had filed over eighty engineering patents, and that there was more than enough money for there for him to pay for me to get this degree. I also explained how Papa's own father, Frederick, 
had designed and engineered tunnels all throughout the underground areas of New York City. The teacher the then explained to me that that doesn't mean shit when it comes to you. David, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> yeah. Uh, continuing on, uh, David said, I said I would be happy to work a regular job if need be to earn spending money if my grandfather didn't give me enough to cover my basic living expenses, but I expected that he would. However, I did not go in there with anything like a signed affidavit from Papa confirming that he had actually agreed to pay for this. My mother and father's own financial situation was far too rough for them to be able to help me with so much as a single dollar, which I had been required to confirm with paperwork as part of the application process. So he applied <laughs> saying his parents were broke. Here's 300 books I've read. I dare you to ask me about anyone. And my grandpapa, who graduated <laughs> from Harvard, has assured me he'll pay for it. And the other one built tunnels. Yes. Those same tunnels, which I'm pretty sure Nikola Tesla actually built. I, it sounds like a schizophrenic break. Like it, it sounds like he just, uh, if someone came in here right now and did that, I would think they were fucking insane. Like if we, if they would at minimum, I would be like, dude, I think you need to talk to someone on rare occasions. You and I both have to interview people to hire. If yeah. someone came in with that, if, if someone we were looking to hire came in and did that, yeah. I it, just imagine how that would play. <sighs> if if someone came into here and started talking about all their fucking books. I just want to study the mes metaphysical properties of spirituality and joints. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, all right. Keep going. Yeah. that I can see why they didn't take him. Yeah. So just to, to wrap that story, David gets a call from his mother that goes, uh, David, I've got a letter here for you from Naropa. It's awfully thin. Do you want me to open it and read it to you? <laughs> I Doesn't even he... give an answer. I think you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he didn't. He can't even admit he didn't get in. No, no, no. He didn't get in. Oh, okay. But he doesn't need to put a follow up to the question. I think. Ah. I think the pain was understood. Now joining the ashram, uh, on the trip home from New York. He is sitting next to two fellas who uh, studied under a renowned guru, Baba Muktananada. Of course, the famous. Uh, and just as he was about to graduate, he received a series of visions that literally commanded him to renounce his future in medicine as, and work as a common person. So this is another, uh, this is one of the guys he met on the bus talking about this guru, and he literally got his Ph.D., quit and joined an ashram okay all right to become a common person what the fuck happened to you that you just spent eight years of your life and like a hundred and eighty thousand dollars minimum getting a degree to go you know what i'm gonna go join the ashram all right you know what that one i actually can't explain because i haven't gone through some of that myself i can tell you i totally i totally believe you could go to med school and, and have a complete fucking psychological breakdown. Just get burnt out to the nth degree. The stress is fucking immense, and you have no time off. I guess if you go to another country, they can't get you for student loans either. Well, you're giving me ideas. <laughs> you can go join an ashram. Yes, John Johnson live from Spain. Uh, so here's his story about this uh, guru, Muktanananda. 
then dramatically held out his hand, and a visible orb of bluish-white light formed in it. Ah, sure it did. About two inches wide. He grabbed this light as if it were a ball and threw it at his student. The ball traveled to the area right between the student's eyes, and as it hit him, he was overcome with total ecstasy. His body dropped dropped to the ground, and he was literally convulsing with divine pleasure. He later died of a seizure. (laughs) I was hoping it'd say he just came all over the place. Uh, This was a powerful example of the gift that true gurus can convey, known as darshan. I eventually explained in detail about how I had experienced something similar with the Tuvan throat-singing shaman the previous winter, but at that point I was totally captivated by his story. Muktananda then walked up to the man, looked down at him in his drooling ecstasy and said, Now do you stay and be happy, no? The man was ble- was so blissed out, he could only nod his head and moan in agreement. So like he the just term, fucking chucked a fist of ecstasy into his mouth. And, yeah, he just shot ecstasy into his brain, and <laughs> yeah. then the dude was just, Oh, yes, okay, uh-huh, oh, this music is so good. Yeah, if I, if I pour some shit in my hand and ask you to open your mouth, I can make you happy for a, a few hours, too. Now, I like the term blissed out, though. Blissed out is pretty good. I can get behind that. That's not bad. I might yeah. use that one. Dog, I'm so fucking blissed out right now, bro. I, I'd like to get a little blissed out. Who's got ecstasy anymore? <laughs> fucking pesky kids in their molly. I, think I don't want to do molly. I think we did it all. I, <laughs> I think we did all the ecstasy. We, it's like uh, how we... We, we did the, all the... Qua- like That's the quaaludes of uh, our generation. We did all the good ones. We overhunted the buffalo. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's no, none left. No pokeballs to be found. Yeah. That, and I don't think you can cut that shit with fentanyl. I would hope not. Although these days everything's cut with fentanyl. All right, let's continue on how David uh, is. So we get his into some to madness. Some cool stuff. This is where Edgar Casey starts coming in. Dreams of Ra Pata, Atlantis, and flying spheres. Is Ra Pata the same as Ra? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Uh, so after getting home, his mother demanded that I get a regular job and pay fifty dollars <laughs> a week to live there. So $200 a month rent. Yes, but it's just hilarious that his mother's charging him rent. Now, I guess at this point, David was like a year sober from being just a useless stoner. So I guess maybe yeah. that's the only way they could keep him on, on a leash. And once again, they were very broke. <laughs> I mean, $200 a month rent uh, is not exactly breaking the bank. Now, at the same time that my external world was imploding with shre- with stress, depression, and anxiety... My inner world came to life like never before. I started experiencing... Almost as if it was some sort of escape. Yeah, almost as if it saved him from his depression. Yes, like he had some sort of fracturing that occurred within his consciousness that allowed him to protect himself. He's genuinely a born-again Christian, except it's aliens. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, essentially. Mm -hmm. Got sober... Fell into religion, ufology. He got too fucking stressed out. He had post-traumatic growth disorder. Except instead, you're right, instead of God, it's aliens. Yeah. Now, most born-again Christians don't get to the, I'm actually a prophet level. Yeah, they don't don't go to, I am Jesus. Yeah, that's usually where they, like, hold off. Yeah, it's a bit blasphemous. Uh, so by this point, I had several, I had had several, uh, read several books on UFOs and ancient civilizations that had gone into the Casey story of Atlantis. What we now identify as the myth of Atlantis is actually a part 
of ancient Egypt as well as other areas. A number of the books I read revealed that Casey's own readings indicated that he had once been the first pharaoh of Egypt, who we now call Osiris. The Casey readings said that many details had gotten lost in translation, and a more accurate name for this <laughs> beloved leader at the time was Ra Ptah. Of course things were mistranslated. Mm-hmm. That's that's like the ultimate uh, fucking huckster move, which is like... Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, you just read that wrong. What uh, it actually means now. This is why I'm gonna have to. Thing. I'm gonna have to research some Casey at some point here, just to. I'm just curious to see how many times he pulled that particular move. Casey is uh, unfortunately not a particularly interesting individual. I've, no, I've done the person very basic him, reading. Yeah, the person himself's him. not so interesting, but his writings. I need to understand more of David's origins. Yes, the genesis of. But uh, continuing of on to Rapata. Uh, Rabatah was originally from Atlantis and while living there uh-huh. had received a series of shocking and undeniable visions and prophecies of a coming cata- catastrophe that would nearly destroy the Atlantean civilization. This was what we would later come to know as the sinking of Atlantis. A smaller group of 231 followers banded with him and together they were able to survive the floods and devastation that wreaked havoc upon the earth. Once things settled down, they relocated to Egypt and were able to integrate with the indigenous people of the area. Rapata knew he had to build a truly remarkable monument, the Great Pyramid, and Egypt was the only suitable location for its construction. So this might be where he's getting his ridiculous declarations from, saying as Edgar Casey just declared that he built the pyramid. Oh yeah, Edgar Casey is a, a full full blown like certified yeah. nut job. But that's that's he's, why he's I never I'd never read the particular part where he said he was Osiris and had built the first pyramid. But that does explain if David's leaning into his Edgar Casey phase. You know what I would love to see is um, back in the day the the Catholic Church the the process for someone to become a saint right like mm-hmm. at least until I think John Paul the second fucked mm-hmm. this up in the eighties. But the church used to assign someone to argue against the case for beatification. Mm-hmm. So they, that's where devil's advocate came mm-hmm. from, is someone mm-hmm. was playing. Uh, the devil's advocate. I would like to see... He raped the many boys. <laughs> I would like to see David present his case and have a knowledgeable person on the other side that's refuting his arguments. No, that's us. We're the devil's advocate. We are. Because here's the thing. I did no research for this. It's but, just so well, but basic. Here's, that... here's the thing is research isn't going to do anything to him. That's true. If, if, you numbers, you... if numbers could have fixed this, he never would have gotten here. If you believe you built the pyramids, I guess it's hard to be talked out of that. What these people need is loving mockery. I mock because I love. If only he could just go back to being crazy about scoops of rice. He's gone too far. Look, he's built the pyramids. Trump derangement syndrome <laughs> affects both sides of the aisle. We've gone Wilcock derangement. Well, because he's going all in on the Donald has given me four more years in Aliens. <laughs> Got the tan going, the haircut. It's definitely being set up. There's technically still a few more days left in July for him to uh, release the Aliens, but it yeah. uh, doesn't seem like it's coming. Now, the readings revealed that Rapata had worked with a mysterious entity called Thoth Hermes Trismegistus to build the Great Pyramid. The fuck was that? I don't know, man. He, this one was some new for me. It appeared that Hermes and Enoch were also the same character, and the Casey readings said this being had been a prior incarnation of Jesus. 
Okay. So Hermes was e- Enoch and Jesus. And if I remember correctly, Enoch had to serve as a translator. In the Ascension Mysteries, I delve into the mysteries of the Book of Enoch, which okay. is as old as the Book of Genesis and okay. actually far more revealing. Well, you know who's the reincarnation of Enoch? Corey Good. Or at dun, least dun, they've dun. claimed in the past. So that's that's why I wanted to break down who Enoch was. Man, poor Enoch just can't retire. No. <laughs> they just fucking won't let him hang it up. That is true. It must kind of suck. Like, if you get reincarnated but know you've been reincarnated. How many times am I going to have to save these assholes? Yeah, like, when, when does Fuck, this fucking... just let them die already. When does this train stop? Yeah, that sounds like hell. Yeah, just constantly being brought back as a... A douchey mystic with a big forehead. (laughs) (laughs) No, what did I do wrong? Not Not him. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Continuing on uh, about the Casey readings. Uh, This enigmatic quote appeared on June 7th, 1930 in reading number 1681-1 for a 33-year-old banker who was a Quaker. It's a like pe- a Q drop, like the way you yeah. listed oh, it. Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Q, Q pulled from all the, the legends. Apparently in Atlantis, his name was Segund, and he was a keeper of the portals. Here is a portion of the quote. The entity was very close to those in authority, being that one who was the keeper of the portals, as well as the messages that were received from the visitation of those from the outer spheres. So the idea of a Quaker as an Atlantean is hilarious. Yeah, so the the guy on the fucking oatmeal jar is also, guarding the portals in Atlantis. Now, I only know this because of my own readings into church history, but the 1830s to about the early 19, 1900s, just about into the 1930s, there was a very big revival of religious mysticism. Mm-hmm. So Quakers and Shakers and shit like that all had a very significant interest in what we would call Magic, but not magic as in the current sense. Yeah. So I'm sure that also was part of what spurred Casey, because you got Quakers saying they were keeper por- keepers of the portals in Atlantis. Yeah. that's Because uh, how would a Quaker know what the fuck Atlantis is in 1930? And also, are these portals like portals to different realms or por- time travel they, portals or uh, the video game portal they <laughs> don't just ex- got early access to a beta i don't believe let's see uh because casey it clearly indi- oh here you go it clearly indicates that there were portals through which extraterrestrials from outer spheres were coming and going okay. and passing messages through to earth as well so this is like the uh the doorway to uh different galaxies Pretty much. The reading did go on to say that Sagun had a key role in unifying messages from Atlantis, Egypt, India, Indochina, Mongolia, and the Aryan regions of what became India and Iran. He was responsible for planning expeditions that helped identify where the survivors of the coming Atlantean catastrophe would need to to relocate. If we accept the validity of the Casey readings as one of the basic foundations of our philosophical argument, then we have a great deal to work with when we bring in reading Number 1681-1. You know, when you pay a guy for a reading, it's funny how it never comes back as you being an unimportant person in the past. Yes. You're you're always incredibly important, now, as long if, as you pay. If the bird-like humans portrayed in the first time are not actually mythological, they may very well represent extraterrestrial beings that are human-like, but obviously have unusual features. 
This group of 231 people, including Sagund, stayed with Rapatah through thick and thin, even after he was eventually banished from Egypt. Rapatah's banishment was the result of a grave mistake he had made. Although he taught monogamy, he himself decided to take on a second wife and have children with her. Oh, man. She happened to be the most beautiful woman in all of Egypt and a renowned female temple dancer. The Casey readings <laughs> said... strip clubs back in the day? <laughs> apparently. The Casey readings said that her original name was Isris and that over time it had become simplified to Isis. The huh. political opponents of Rapata's day used this example of spiritual hypocrisy to get him thrown out of the country, and for a time it worked. Rapata's core group of followers left Egypt along with him when he was banished. So Rapata cheated on his wife. He got caught slipping. He Clintoned. It seems, uh, it seems like every religious figure through history, they always fuck up. Yeah, it was. <laughs> They're never actually uh, prophets. They're, they're men who make mistakes. And who have, have a penis. And, and have tricked a bunch of people into believing them. Look, man's penis has gotten him into trouble since man existed. The penis is the most dangerous. It, it's the spear of uh It tells no lies injustice. and causes the most damage. <laughs> yeah, it is, uh, it is the worst possible way in which a man can be guided. Yeah, the second you listen to your dick, you're fucked. And it sounded like Raw Potato left left his dick to do some thinking, and it fucked him up. You know what he did? He went Raw Potog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, according to the Casey readings, the same group of 231 people continually continually reincarnated with Raw Potog. These lifetime. fuckers still followed Raw Potato after he got kicked out of Egypt for yeah. He's just getting a little puss, banging you know, side pieces. He, he's like our our great leader, you know. He got a little <laughs> puss on the side, whatever. Fucking shit happens. It's just some pussy. <laughs> uh, and they were reincarnated with Raw Potato lifetime after lifetime. Even more interestingly, the readings revealed that America in general was a country where the Atlanteans were reincarnating as a group so they could work off the karma of having destroyed their previous high-tech civilization through selfishness, greed, and materialism. They decide to work off that karma by stealing the land from the Native Americans? Because it kind of sounds like they came here and are just repeating the cycle. Unless he's going to claim they are the Native Americans. I don't know. I think Atlanteans are supposed to be white. Well, but if Raw Potato's here with 230 followers... That's not an insignificant group. It's not a big group, but that's certainly enough to establish a sizable village. Yeah. And the, the Native Americans didn't notice Raw Potato and his group of uh, uh, cohorts? Well, it says America, so I'm assuming it wasn't America until the white people were here. Because that is one of the things the Founding Fathers did say, was this is our new Atlantis. That's part of where our, the idea came from. Okay. All right. So that's legit just... I didn't need an alien to tell me that. Yeah, raw potato didn't need to be involved. That's like that's like some pretty basic history if you really <laughs> look into it. I think it was Benjamin Franklin. It seems like uh yeah, it seems like once again a very long way to take something that was metaphorical and interpret it as literal. Yeah. So more of uh David's dreams. Dreams of an Atlantean catastrophe. The first dream that seemed to relate to Rapata, Egypt, and Atlantis came on July 6, 1995, less than a month after I had been rejected 
by the Naropa Institute. <laughs> oh boy, does he hold a grudge. In this dream, I found <laughs> it's like Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah. In this dream, I found myself on top was top of what appeared to be a giant step pyramid of some kind, similar to the Mayan temples. It was a very large castle-like building made of stone with a ring of with rings of pillars standing at the summit. I was the only one there who seemed to understand that the pillars in the building itself were all designed to function as a giant astro- astronomical cl- calendar. The society that had built this pyramid had reached its ultimate crisis as my dream began. Lightning was crashing. The Mayan-style pillars were toppling down right in front of me, and water was flooding in from everywhere as, at a fantastic rate. It was extremely terrifying, to say the least. All the people around me were from my honors classes in high school. <laughs> There were a total of perhaps 40 kids who were all in the same gifted classes with me every year. Much like Moses, I was also able to part the sea so everyone could travel through the area to safety, and they were amazed that I was able to do this. At one point, I stepped out into the water and was able to psychically form it into huge, beautiful quartz crystals with my hands. I showed them to the people as if they were gifts, but as soon as they tried to grab them, the crystals immediately melted like ice cubes. How many times do you think he's just been told to shut the fuck up? Like, I think at this point in his life, he's too insulated from I was about uh, to possible say, criticism. Between the ages of like two and 30, a lot, a lot. <laughs> because him talk, like, I know what his interpretation of that dream would be, but uh, it's, he's dreaming narcissistically. Yeah, he's yeah. dreaming. It's to the core. He he's his his dreams have a personality disorder. Yeah. It'd be like dreaming about being depressed. So then there's another dream where uh, Kiss shows him a secret Kiss? military. Yeah, shows him a secret. Jada Kiss or no, like Kiss the band. Okay, shows him a secret. Jada mili- Kiss would have been funnier, but shows him a secret military base. Uh, the members discover of aliens all night. The members of Kiss continued leading me deeper and deeper <laughs> through this passageway. Our, uh, no, he's n- finally I met about three beings who were gigantic and exceedingly un- mysterious. That they, was Guar. They were <laughs> approximately thirty-five feet tall. These beings, each of them wearing what appeared to be a robe, were quite extraordinary, appearing to be living statues made of solid gold. They sparkled and shined with the beautiful luster of gold as they stood there. Did Gene Simmons have words of wisdom to uh, impart to him, or he was just the tour guide? So he never mentions any of them by name. He just says kiss, which I'm assuming is because he doesn't want to get sued. (laughs) Fuck. I don't know how you could have that happen and not realize, like, hey, maybe this isn't real. Maybe when the guys who wrote Detroit Rock City are introducing me to thirty foot five, uh, thirty five foot tall Golden, gold statues, gold moving statues. Maybe some of the shit is just uh, fabrication. Yeah. See, this is kind of David was kind of one of the beginning things of what made me start rereading a lot of the old Marvel and DC comics. Uh. Cause out these dudes are all from that era. So once I started going back and reading some of, like, the 90s and 80s comics... You realize he's just stealing storylines from old comic books? I just was able to see where some of these were coming from. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. There's a lot. I didn't... I'm not a big enough comic nerd to have known how much, like, alternate history is in those books. The original comics? Yeah. So once I started going back... It was after... I don't remember if David was the one who said it. Actually, it probably was David. But they said that the... 
the ships and like the Marvel movies, like the airplanes oh, were, were actually were real. real. Yeah, yeah, we're real. Okay. And then I was like, all right, I gotta go read these comics that, now. I got no idea. They think this shit is like they're so dug into it. I think that was when Cosmic Disclosure first started. I think that was the the beginning of him and Corey. Yeah. So the dream kind of just eventually like they ask him to look for shit, and then he like finds batteries in a desk. I'm surprised he didn't claim to have uh, like written a song for for Kiss. I wrote, all their, I wrote all their music. Yeah, I thought I was going to go Donald Marshall. and They asked me to play drums, but I was so preoccupied. No, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the look I just gave Jay was one of astonishment. I, I... Oh, God, I wish. I wish he had actually done that. It, it speaks greatly to the content of his character that I had zero problem believing that. <laughs> I fully believe that was... Uh, and that would have been one of the least crazy things he'd said. Yes. Uh, so moving on from that dream, he talks about how we w- he was reading Genesis Revisited by Zachariah Sitchin, where Sitchin argued that Phobos was not a natural moon, but had been hollowed out to form a massive extraterrestrial base. He also, uh, it would be much later in his life, beginning in 2007 with Henry Deacon, that other insiders revealed to me that there were multiple moons in our solar system with gigantic habitable civilizations inside them. So their aliens are hiding in the moons. They always they get obsessed with hollow moons. Hollow moons are a big deal in uh, stupid people communities. I mean, I guess it's because moons can have some strange chemical structures, I guess. I mean, like we're still figuring out where our moon came from. But yeah, the hollow moon thing has always been odd. It's a convenient Cause theory. You know how hard it would be to hollow out the moon? Yeah, like where uh, where did all the inside portion go? Yeah, because you're not just like finding an empty moon. You gotta no. you hollow out a small planet. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I mean, I know there's the people who think our moon serve as a a base that stores souls. Yeah, and that's where we get our souls when we're born. Is there? They're fucking like yeah. transmitted from the beam on the moon. And I've read into some. The human body. I've read some that say they're just craft, but they've just been there so long. It looks like a rock, which that would be the only logical way I could see it being a hollow moon. Now, if we're going with the David model, though, it is the site of a Nazi base, the the lunar, the LCO, the Lunar Lunar Command Operations Center. Mm -hmm. So I think David believes the moon houses uh, buildings in the shape of a swastika that we now use to fight the Galactic Federation. Yes, we I definitely think have I'm a, right about that. We have a base of operation on the moon, correct? Okay. That was okay. started by the Nazis, but we took it over. Yes, so that's yes. why it's swastika shape. We're mm-hmm. not we're not Nazis. We're just uh being environmentally <laughs> friendly, but not rebuilding. Yes. We're reusing. Now David continues. I could clearly tell that this dream had many direct connections to the Rapata storyline. I saw the Egyptian pyramids, apparently while they were still under construction. <laughs> the surrounding countryside was in a different climate at the time, where snow could accumulate. The golden beings were exceptionally amazing to behold. I could see that they were obviously suggesting that I might somehow be a replacement for Horus. The key was to go through the memories of my past and organize them. Only then would I find the batteries that would allow me to make music. You know, it's crazy how many great men he is. 
Oh, he's replacing gods now, not men. Like Osiris, yeah, Horus. No, he's replacing Edgar G- Casey. He's replacing like, Edgar Casey's a man. He's replacing gods now. Well, how can he? Be- Horus is the son of Osiris. Osiris, I believe, god of wisdom. Uh huh. I don't know what Horus did. I think Horus is the sun god. He was a huge. Or no, Ra's the sun god. <laughs> Horus, uh, god of death, or is he the eagle face? I always forget. Uh, he is the bird head. Yeah. Oh, uh, Horus is the name of a sky god. But uh, I have had many battery metaphors in dreams, and they represent the spiritual power we need to move forward with our greatest purpose. The music I would make in this case would be the spiritual career as a UFO researcher, a field I was hoping to break into. Now, he could have a really lucrative career if he like had people record their dreams and send them into him. And interpret. And them. he would send back his analysis and interpretation. Now, if, I, if I'm correct, I believe he kind of used to do that. Like, he, he used to work as a psychic up until, well, like, this the late isn't, 90s. This isn't being a psychic. This is a dream interpretation. Anal- dream analyst. That is That would be a pretty cushy gig for him. I he, mean, he, he yeah. He could easily get people to pay, like, $300 for David Wilcock to interpret their dreams. Oh, of course. Of course. And he's obviously got a connection to it where he understands it intrinsically. Yeah, he understands uh, symbolism so thoroughly. Let's see. So David has another dream uh, where he goes to a local museum to see an incredible UFO exhibit entitled Anomalous Flying Spheres. Later, after I woke up and analyzed this, I knew... Oh, excuse me. Hold on. He he meets a strange-looking girl in this dream. And later, after I woke up and analyzed this, I knew she was a metaphor for myself, as is the standard rule of all dreams. What? He keeps having dreams where he's women. I don't have I, those. I don't have those at all. No, I and and I could lucid dream pretty well. I've never once had a dream where I'm a woman. Yeah, I don't think I've even had a dream where I'm a different person. No, I'm always me in my dreams. Yeah. I may have like a different job or live in a different location, but I'm I'm still me. I don't Yeah, I don't turn into another person, let alone a a woman. Or a little girl. I think his repressed sexuality is manifesting itself. That PTSD must have been intense in high school. How bad was he bullied? How many swirlies did he get? (laughs) It must have just been all day, every day, from from the first bell to the last bell. Now, when you're an insufferable cunt and you go, oh, yeah, ask me about any book in this library. (laughs) I'll guess any number, one through ten. Yeah. No, I already know it's seven. Come on back. Fuck him. In my analysis, I could tell that this man, who was with the girl, uh, represented the past part of me that had suffered through various addictions. So now he's fucking himself? And bad habits, including laziness and overeating, and still had doubts about my own research. So David, as a woman, is dating the shittier version of Uh, himself? No, 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 that's a little girl he turns into. But as he tells the girl about many of of the UFO-related topics that I've been studying... At this point, an overweight man became very angry with me for doing this. He wanted to, he wanted to fight me for my beliefs, and I did not back down. So that's when he says, uh, in my analysis, the man represented past, fat, uh, drug-addicted David. And by drug-addicted, for those who skipped uh, part one, he means he was a loser. marijuana. Yeah, he was a loser who smoked he, pot. Yeah, no, no hard drugs, no, no cocaine, no, no pills. No, no he, uh, he went to AA for marijuana. Yeah, pretty much. Moving on, uh, David continues his uh, life journey, you could say. Uh-huh. 
Uh, so he gets a job uh, delivering pizzas. Part of the problem was that my job delivering pizzas was incredibly stressful. I was still learning how to drive the Subaru, and no matter how fast I made my deliveries, they always wanted it to be faster. No, no, David. There was one night when I absolutely could not find the house I needed to deliver to, and I then dented the bumper on my car against the tree while backing up. Not the Subaru. I had a true dark night of the soul experience as I stood there and screamed in the rain, soaked to the skin. Bro, his life must have been so fucking good if that's like one of the worst nights of his life. Many people did not understand or care that you were supposed to tip your delivery driver and would just say... (laughs) Keep the change when it was something like 37 cents. Oh, fuck. <laughs> the things he still holds grudges about. It's, it, it cracked me up the whole time I was reading this part. Also, uh, I'm... Uh, listen, I'm no theologian, but I don't remember a lot of uh, Osiris being a pizza delivery or like... I don't think Osiris was a falafel delivery god back in the day. I don't think he worked a day job, no. Yeah, I think that, and I think he was able to back his chariot out without fucking damaging it. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of uh, supernatural beings, he seems like a pretty shitty one. Yeah, he, uh, well, this is his, he's growing. This is before he realized he was a god. And also, you gotta be a pretty big cunt to not get a tip. I'm gonna guess he's probably doing the, like... He's probably trying to pitch to people, like, as they open the door to accept the pizza. Uh, sir, this is only 37 cents. I said said keep the change. Have you heard about Raw? What (laughs) what do you know about the pyramids and the angles? Sir, your pizza is cooked, but do you know about Raw? (laughs) Uh, so, David has a change of plans after visiting a female friend who we'll call Angelica. Uh, he didn't want to live out his life as a god slash pizza delivery man no the pizza the pizza job was too stressful okay um shout out to all pizza delivery people he also discovers graham hancock at this point oh that which i'm sure was a dangerous combo which i'm sure was a big deal for him at that moment that was probably his actual awakening in terms of getting real information at least yeah, that's that's dropping the the bleach and the ammonia. Yeah, Graham now, Hancock now is when we're gonna start getting the the real. Uh, well, especially in '95, Graham Hancock didn't quite know he was as right as he was. Yeah, shit was a little wilder back then. Yeah, um, he also talks about he gives another citation, uh, the work of Giorgio de Santillana and Hertha von Dekend, uh who are high, well-established historians uh, that published... Which means they absolutely are not, if David has to use those modifying words. Published uh, this epic masterpiece, Hamlet's Mill. They had searched through a variety of historical records and identified a total of 35 ancient spiritual traditions around the world. For some inexplicable reason, every single one of these legends had encoded information in them about a strange 25,000-year cycle. This cycle would cause the stars in the night to drift one degree every 72 years if you look at them on the same day each year, such as the spring or fall equinox. I believe that's part of the reason why I thought the world was going to end in 2012. Yes, the I, alignment of the yeah. the calendar ran out. Right. Yeah. Not uh, that they were sacrificing their people at altars and, 
Yeah. Well, and not to rub it in, but we we are currently in 2020. Um, I know it seems like the world's ending, but we're we're actually still moving along. Now it might end this year. Let me <laughs> yeah. just say it this way: if there's ever been a year where I would put that on the table, it's this one. Someone should have called it sooner, because I didn't hear anyone call the world ending this year. Well, I've already, as I'm, I've said many times, I'm pretty sure we're already dead. We're just, we're just stuck in. at, no, we're in hell. <laughs> we're in hell, where David Wilcock is God. Yeah, we're stuck here. He's rich. We're podding through. He's rich and you're not. <laughs> That's true. What kind of world is this? Uh, David's got the bag, man. Now... Uh, Angelica's apartment was sparsely furnished, which was normal for a college student. The only real furniture, apart from a mattress on the floor and a kitchen table with chairs, was a maroon-colored coffee table. Little did I know how important this table would become just over two months later. As I looked back at the table, I felt the need to tell Angelica about my train ride back from Boulder and how I'd met these two guys who were going to South Fallsburg, New York, less than an hour from where we were now, to join an ashram founded by Baba Muktanadan. I started my story by telling her that the items on her sacred table reminded me of an amazing guru I had just heard about named Muktananda. Ah, he's trying to get laid. How disgusting. Angelica was absolutely shocked. That's my guru, she said. Oh, shit. Uh, The ashram is where she grew up, apparently. Uh, Now, David wants to believe it would be all fixed if he just moved to an ashram. Life would be good, but... I agree with that assessment. Move, she gives David. Him, she Move. gives him some more realistic advice and says, you know, wasn't that great. It was cool, <laughs> but it wasn't that great. Uh, eventually, he goes there and uh, sees it for himself and realizes, nah, not, 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 not for not him. As, not as cool as it seems. Sounds cooler to, like, think you're going to meditate every day and do nothing else. Until you got to meditate every day and do nothing else. Yeah, if he thought being a pizza delivery man was stressful, having to actually deal with your emotional trauma in a meaningful way is probably a lot worse. Yes, uh, and so moving back to his dreams, forecasting a major event in the near future. Uh, uh, Angelica <laughs> said she had this terrible dream in which I was talking to a beautiful woman and developing romantic feelings for her. Oh, this is a, excuse me. Fucking narcissist. I misquoted it. So, uh, he had a strong series of dreams suggesting that Yumi was about to contact him because they hadn't broken up just yet Uh uh, and say she was coming for a visit. I couldn't remember all the details, but I definitely knew what the overall theme had been. Shortly after I awoke, the phone was ringing and it was Yumi. She told me that she had this terrible dream in which I was talking to a beautiful woman and developing romantic feelings for her. I felt that Yumi was misusing her psychic gifts in this case, and that on some <laughs> level she was spying on me. Because David, was, David was talking to Angelica, and then uh, Yumi calls and said, You are trifling with a woman. You are a trifling bitch. You are, did you a fuck at that whore? <laughs> yeah, she misused her psychic gifts. Yeah. First of all, why would you break up with the psychic? Second of all, shouldn't she have known you were going to break up with her? <laughs> it, it, it's always the uh, the chicken or the egg scenario. Yes. Why did the psychic not see this coming? I felt cons- I felt cornered and denied that I had spoken with anyone, which was unusual for me to do because David never lies. Like a brave leader I am, I lied and cowered. <laughs> Yumi proceeded to tell me that she was coming back to America to see me in a couple of weeks and had already booked her tickets. 
I had thought I thought she was gone for good, and then the whole thing felt quite <laughs> overwhelming. In the notebook, after the dream that so perfectly predicted her impending call, I wrote, All in all, we have here a clear-cut example of mental telepathic communication, wherein her ideas before going to bed were transmitted to my dreaming brain in the morning with an astonishing degree of accuracy. Yeah, sounds about right. Couldn't be a coincidence. So he was already writing all this shit down at that point. Let's see, the next interesting dream he has uh, is there was a machine that had captured some spiritual entities and held them so they were unable to escape. At the end of the dream, they finally broke free and literally consumed the highly negatively oriented man who had trapped them. This dream was clearly prophetic of my future work in using my research to stand up to the darkest forces on planet Earth. So you watched Ghostbusters and saw the little box they trapped ghosts in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on October 10th, 1995, I ended up being symbolized as a thin person in a boxing match. My character realized <laughs> that he was no match for the giant he had to fight. He was terrified at the size of his opponent. Once the fighting began, everyone in the audience, including his opponent, transformed into hideous monsters. The main character then turned into a monster of his own, cartoonish and whimsical instead of terrifying and ugly. In this per persona, he effortlessly and savagely destroyed his opponent. He looked at the bloody monster he had defeated in the audience, and he felt disgusted by their monstrosity and trapped in their world of violence. This again seemed to be prophetic of my future career, where I would often use whimsical humor to expose very dark secrets. Oh, yes. David is well known for his whimsical humor. Now, I did underline We're fucking that. fucking halfway through this goddamn book, and he hasn't said a single thing that was funny. Intentionally. Yes. But uh, I underlined that last part and pretty much just wrote, like, that's pretty much how we live our life. Yeah. Yeah. Whimsical humor in the face of very dark secrets. Great adversity. Yeah. Yes. We, we, we fucking stash all the skeletons in the closet and make fun of other people to uh, deflect from our own issues. Now he goes through some more mumbo jumbo. And then Artie comes back into the picture. Very convenient. Uh... Artie uh, was told about his father's alleged trip to the hospital. He had been out in the street in roughly the same position relative to his house as I was, in, as I was to the car in this dream. When Artie first told me that story, I had visualized the scene as if it had happened in this exact same location. I always felt that Artie's father had gotten pulled into some kind of black project rather than having died. Since my household cat had to face her own UFO double <laughs> and it died in the process... Wait, what? <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, so he has a dream where, uh... His cat has to fight its alien double. Yes, as I wrote in the dream, or excuse me, I got closer, told me Mandy, our house cat Mandy had died in his dream. Uh-huh. Uh, Mandy was symbolic representation of his animal self. Okay. Uh, his mother in the dream explained to him that Mandy had to face her UFO double, who was significantly larger, and that she died in the process. He's, he believes this symbolizes the shamanic death that occurs when you undergo a profound transformation. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, so since my household cat had to face her own UFO double uh -huh. and had died in the process, this dream seemed to be predicting that I was soon going to learn something interesting about myself that was UFO-related. Like Artie's father, this discovery would take me into an entirely new and different world. I would apparently see that I had a UFO double, that was much bigger on the soul level than I had been that I had seen myself as being until then. In the process, the person I had been until then, at least in the egoic sense, 
would be seriously transformed. Oh, now this is like when so a he little his... kid is like trying to pretend, like in their their alternate pretend universe, they're a big strong man. Yeah, who but can't be bullied. In his mind, this realization is him like letting go of his ego. <laughs> He's the Kanye West of UFOs. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's he's, a great way to put he's it. He's the fucking off meds Kanye of of the UFO community. Yeah, Except we gotta get him smoking weed again, man. He, These dreams are fucking with his head. He has no college dropout. If there's anyone, he has the IQ of a college dropout, but he has no college dropout. Yeah, he's a college barely graduated. But more than me, I don't. Have I bet you he's degree. a fan of Kanye. <laughs> on the low, he probably knows Kanye. Yeah. At least in his mind. Oh, I know. He's got one picture with Steven Tyler. He won't shut the fuck up about it. I'm sure if, if he ever was at an airport where Kanye was, I'm sure he considers themselves best friends. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So the dream then shifted and I found myself in a grocery store. Uh, the vegan grocery store where with he his, scoop rice and beans? Yeah, he was. Uh, let's see. He called out his friend Matt, but he was nowhere to be found. I was very, very nervous, but I didn't even really know why. I saw a dish that had a giant leek sitting on it. Leek as in L-E-E-K. Like the vegetable. Yes. Okay. And I was compelled to walk over and pick it up. In the dream, however, I knew that by choosing to pick up this leek, I would be agreeing to face my own impending extraterrestrial contact alone. I realized that if I ever found myself standing face-to-face -face with actual live greys, that could prove to be an extremely terrifying experience. Nonetheless, I was brave enough to walk over and pick up the leak anyway. So he, he's brave enough to fight aliens, not brave enough to break up with his girlfriend. He's brave enough to pick up a vegetable that symbolizes him fighting aliens. <laughs> yeah, that's... That, that's you, he's done it so many times that I'm becoming numb to it. You, but you it, start missing it. It's the insanely great leaps he makes it's extrapolation at its worst i it's i wish there was a word beyond extrapolation yeah it's because, the best i can describe it because to see a vegetable and think this means you're gonna have to fight aliens no but being able to pick up the vegetable means he'll be able, able yeah that's maybe he really hates leeks I don't I, like him much i heard less insane shit when i worked at the the fucking insane asylum you know where David has an internship at? In Insane Asylum? Oh, you'll see. Are we Insane Asylum buddies? You'll see. All right, David. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> I knew the choice uh, meant I was putting myself on a timeline where this future meeting with extraterrestrials would become utterly inevitable. Ironically, I did not realize they were meeting with me almost every morning in my dreams. This prophecy referred only to a deepening of the contact into accurate spoken transmissions and the realization that I was far more related to them than I had ever thought. So David is again an alien. He's really setting that up, which when he uh, completely fucks up all the prophecy later in this book, I, I might have to revoke his alien card. Like, unless we get to the prophecy part and he's fucking bang on, I think you lose your extraterrestrial uh, visa. Well, that's why I was thinking, <laughs> what if he set up like a dream analysis company? David, holler at me. I know how to start a company, bro. Yeah, we can just scam shit. Fuck yeah, if Grand Machandra can charge $300, <laughs> we can easily do that. We we can work this out. Uh, I just have this one part underlined. The golden beings in my epic kiss dream had faces that looked like masks, and these masks had the same Mayan-type appearance. 
So the golden beings that Kiss brought showed him to uh, showed him to were Mayans. The fact that Kiss like how is he not interpreting that? I don't know, but here's your next uh, part. A job at the mental hospital. <laughs> All right. One of the jobs I applied for was at a local hospital in oh, the mental ward. applied war. for. No, he gets it. Oh, okay, With my okay. new bachelor's degree in psychology, I got in as a tech as of about no- November 3rd, 1995. I was there to assist the nurses. At the time, I still wanted to get a PhD in psychology, and I felt that a job in the mental health field was of critical importance to building a residency credit for my degree. That is the first logical sentence in this entire fucking thing. This job proved to be my final break with the material world before the much deeper awakening experiences began, occurring immediately afterward. At times, I was greatly harassed and disrespected by the patients, which seemed to be a normal thing that all the nurses and techs went through in the ward. I did my best to keep the peace and be friendly to the patients, even though I was told that I had nothing to offer them. By keep the peace, he meant he had a gun on him at all times. And to just perform my duties with a minimum of social interaction. So many strange and upsetting things happened to me in just two and a half weeks that I was completely overwhelmed. I could write a whole play or movie script out of those experiences that would run the viewer through the full spectrum of human emotions. All right, what a selfish fuck. First of all, you're you're working at a place for people who are at... Literal lunatics. Often points, they're they're at the lowest point in their life. A lot of people are in there because they just tried to kill themselves, are thinking about kill themselves, and his takeaway is, but... But how did it affect me over the course of two weeks? Why were why were those crazy people so mean to me? Yeah, he he can't step outside of himself to see that he should be of service to others. He only can think about why are the people suffering from legitimate mental crises not acting the way he wanted them to. Yeah, and I just love that like the doctors and nurses had to be like, Hey, will you quit telling them this nonsense? They're fucking crazy, man. They're going to believe your shit. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. What a fucking nightmare. And he was just like a fucking tech in there probably telling them all sorts of crazy shit. Yeah, I I think I've told the story before, but when I worked there, I went to the bathroom once. It was, I don't remember what month. It was nowhere near holiday. And there was a guy in there just selling gift cards, like Hallmark uh, or you know, like mm-hmm. Merry Christmas cards. He was just fucking in the bathroom selling those. They're, the people who end up in those locations are fucking insane. I, yeah, it's, it's called a mental hospital. Yeah, they're not sort of... A, mental illness gets tossed around a lot these days. Nah, no. Nah, there's there's mental illness, and then there's the... There's, you need to be locked in a facility yeah. mental illness. There's psych ward. And I... A psych ward mental illness is uh, yeah. qu- quite a few steps above um, I'm depressed and I listen to Little Skies and yeah. Juice World. Like, even David wouldn't get put in that ward. No, no, he's too lucid. Yeah. Uh, so, continuing on. Uh, ultimately, on the morning of November 20th, 1995, I wrote my resignation letter. I didn't bring it in with me that day, but as it turned out... I was out, also too big of a coward to leave my job. He but, can't break up with a girlfriend. He can't quit a job. No, it's worse. But as it turned out, I didn't need to. They Once again, I had them. received a crystal clear prophetic vision. My boss called me into his office first thing in the morning and told me I was being fired. 
When I asked him for a reason, he said it was because I was too friendly to the patients. They wanted someone who would just do their job oh. and not offer any conversation or opinions. Oh, yeah, that's that's got to be it. That right. was the treatment team's responsibility, not mine. Even with a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's equivalent from suicide hotline internships, they did not consider oh, me to oh, be... Hold on. He just did the thing. Yeah, he did. He did the, I worked at the suicide hotline, so I have a master's equivalent. Yeah, master's equivalent from suicide hotline internships. So this means he was grossly overstepping his bounds. Yeah, he was a tech. Yeah. Uh, They did not consider me to be educated enough to share my own thoughts with anyone. I was completely dumbfounded. I had gotten a psychology degree well, to be got able the dumb part, right? <laughs> yeah, I had gotten a psychology degree to be able to help people and I certainly felt that being friendly was an essential element of the process. All right, little insult inside baseball, uh within the medical community or at least uh when I was dabbling with that the psych ward gig that's one people want to avoid. You got to fuck up really 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 bad for them to get rid of you that quickly. They are desperate for qualified people. Like when I was a freshman in my program and I did my, I was doing my rotation rounds there. Mm -hmm. They were already talking about hiring three uh, me three years down the line because they were so desperate for fucking new blood. Yeah. It's because no one wanted that job. And it's a wildly specialized job. I mean, you, you have to put up with people fucking hucking shit at you. It's, yeah, they're lunatics. Yes. Yeah. Most people would rather go ride their days out of CVS. So if he if he lost his job at a psych ward, he, I would be uh, willing to bet a fair amount of money that he way fucked up. Oh, I'm sure he was trying to tell this lo- loony shit to some of these patients. Oh, you're not insane. That's just an alien manifesting itself yeah. in your dreams. Oh, and- you're not. You're not crazy. No one's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's that's some dangerous shit to be doing. Hey, maybe you're just an extraterrestrial soul in a human body. You know, medicine is uh, not real and doesn't work. He's not anti-medicine, though. I'll give him that at least. Oh, thank Christ. Good. I mean, it's the one good thing you've done, David. Yeah. Let's see. So, uh, moving on, he talks about the book that changed my life, uh, which is, uh, let's see. Men are from Mars. Women are, uh, from elsewhere being an ET, being ET in America. And the author was, uh, Scott Mandelker. Uh, the tagline on Mandelker's book cover was the subculture of those who claim to be of non-earthly origins. As I read the inside jacket, it was clear that Mendelker's name for this type of E.T. soul was Wanderer. Admittedly, my first response was sarcastic laughter. A Ph.D., huh? Just look at the title. Non-earthly origins. People are people. They are born and die here on Earth. This guy's crazy. However, as I held the book in my hands... (laughs) However, I proceeded to read the book. (laughs) However, as I held the book in my hands, I could feel it tingling with an almost unbearable amount of energy. He really lives in, like, Harry Potter. Yeah. I soon realized by flipping through the book that Mendelker was basing the majority of his argument on a series of 106 Edgar Cayce-style intuitive readings known as The Law of One. Oh, no. And that's where he starts to go down. So then they talk about Mendelker's questionnaire uh, for if you're a wanderer. Oh, wait. Do we we have that questionnaire? 
Yeah, they're pretty boring. I'll blow through them real yeah, quick. Yeah, blow. Let's, the, let's let the audience play along here. Let's. Uh, Often lost in daydreams of ETs, UFOs, other worlds, space travel, and utopian societies, as a child, your family thought you were a bit odd without knowing why. Number two, yeah. you felt like your parents were not your true parents; that your fam- real family was far away and hidden. These beliefs may have caused you a great deal of pain and sorrow. You felt out of place. No, my parents just died. Three, you've had one or more vivid UFO experiences, which dramatically changed your life. Uh, like a spiritual wake-up call. Nope. Number four, you were genuinely kind, gentle, harmless, peaceful, and non-aggressive. Just not, not just sometimes, but almost always. Eh, uh, I'll give myself an uh, iffy on that. Acts of human cruelty and violence and perpetual global warfare seem really strange. You just can't figure out all this anger, rage, and competition. Five, you have a hard time... Violence is the only way you answer violence. That's... Yeah, <laughs> aliens would be fucked. Yeah. You have a hard time recognizing evil and trickery. Some people call you naive. No. Perhaps. Oh my God, that's... All right, there, yeah, there, there we is. go. In a There's subtle, David. In a subtle way, you actually... Oh, when, when you do perceive genuine negativity in your midst, you recoil in horror and may feel shocked that some people really do things like that. In a subtle way, you actually feel confused. Perhaps you vaguely sense having known a world free of such disharmony. Nah. Six, the essence of your life is serving others and you cherish great ideals, Fuck no. <laughs> which may also be somewhat innocent and naive. A lot of dis- disappointment and frustration comes when such hopes and dreams don't materialize. Seven, you completely embrace the scientific temperament with a cool, reasonable, and measured approach to life. Uh, this uh, type of wanderer yeah. is less common and probably wouldn't be... <laughs> And probably wouldn't be reading this book. Okay. Their skepticism would be too great. Okay. Such well, an odd bird is probably a brilliant scientist. Well, he got me on that. I, I'm certainly not a brilliant scientist, but... Uh, or are you? Ooh, maybe I am, and I just don't know it. You easily get lost... Number eight, you easily get lost in science fiction, medieval epic fantasy, and visionary art. Not even remotely. Uh, sometimes you consider your Earth life boring and meaningless and wish you could go to a perfect, exciting world. Number nine. Literally every day. You have an insatiable interest in UFOs, life on other worlds, or a previous Earth civilization such as Atlantis or Lemuria. That's about a five out of ten. Number ten. You have a strong interest in mystic spirituality, both theory and practice, with a deep sense that you used to have greater powers and somehow lost them. Nope. People may doubt your resolve, but you know it's not that simple. Number eleven. You've become a conscious channel for ETs or some other non-Earth source, and you realize that the purpose of your life is to help others grow and evolve. God, I wish. Number 12, you feel and perhaps all your life have felt tremendous alienation alienation, and a sense of never quite fitting in. Maybe you hope to be like others, try your best to be normal, or imagine yourself like everyone else. But all right. the bottom line is that you simply feel different and always have. I think we can stop the questionnaire there. Um, that was the last one. Oh, I mean, it's clear what they're doing there. They're, they're just trying to reel in loners. Like, it's the oldest fucking scam in the book. Yeah, it's lonely. Like, you feel different. You're not quite sure you fit in. I mean, I think it was just... You think you have a greater purpose. You're meant for more. Like, it's telling losers they're special. Well, I think it's one loser wrote the book and put his feelings, and they were all like, hey, me too, man. Yeah, and all the other losers agreed with it. Oh, man, I'm an alien? That makes total sense. Uh, Yeah, no, that's way better than me just being a fucking douche. Oh, rad, bro. I'm a (laughs) blue-headed triangle. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Jumping around, eh, mm. let's see, great stress and transformation. My maternal grandparents were intense fundamentalist Christians, and my mother was definitely was not. They had essentially adopted another family from their church, and those boys had far larger and more prominent photographs in the China cabinet than Michael and I did. 
During the dinner, the things took a sudden turn from simmering unspoken tension to maximum intensity. My grandmother suddenly lost the ability to breathe comfortably. She started gra- gasping, wheezing, and clutching her chest. For a brief moment, I wondered if she was pulling some sort of inappropriate and elaborate joke. But this was absolutely real. No one was laughing. I could hardly believe that what was happening. For me. But all of a sudden, we had to call an ambulance. His grandma just died during dinner? Yes. Yes. Then he talks about his friend Jude. Uh, we both felt as if we were on a mission to save the planet. We were often taken advantage of by others. We were nonviolent. We engaged in helping professions like counseling, and we were unable to understand negativity or evil. Since Jude had mentioned a cylinder-shaped submarine, I told him there were numerous reports of cigar-shaped UFOs in the literature. David's always recruiting. (laughs) He's always, he's always got to plant those seeds. The paint fumes in Jude's house were too much, so we went back to his fiance's <laughs> parents' house in Queensbury, New York. Wait, decided... wait, 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 wait. The place where he's having all the visions is just filled with paint fumes? They were painting, yes. Okay, well, maybe maybe he should have brought that up. I had been huffing nitrous all day. <laughs> I decided prophetic visions. I decided we should try automatic writing, in which you try to get your non-dominant hand to write on its own. Oh, there we go. To my utter amazement, this was exactly the same table design that I had been so fond of at Angelica's place. So it was the same table. So he just drew something he saw earlier. Yes. Yes. That doesn't seem that, that uh, impressive to yes. me. Yes. As I was in a deep trance state, my left non-writing hand had traced out legible words on the paper taped to the floor. The first encoded message had appeared from a combination of slow, curving lines that my hand had drawn forward and backward. When you read the lines together, they clearly and undeniably said, Christ cometh. So now he's Jesus. Uh, If he goes Jesus, we might have to... He's a prophet, not Jesus. He's got to dial this shit back. He's, He's a messiah, but he's not the messiah. Oh boy, Islam is not going to take this well. No. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Then on the next line down, my hand had suddenly jumped to life and written a short burst of letters and numbers very quickly. The writing was a very bizarre 11-letter code sequence. The capitalizations and the spacing have been preserved exactly as they appeared. Capital E-C, space, four zero, space, five seven, space, weird symbol, space, oxen, lowercase. All right, hold on. What's his email address? I'm going to try and log in using that as the password. Probably David at whatever his <laughs> website is. I'm about to hack Divine Cosmos. Uh, let's see. So they try to figure out the meaning of this, and it didn't take us very long in this state to figure out that EC4057 must be a Bible quote. Of we course. immediately opened the book to Ecclesiastes. Yep, <laughs> since this started with the EC, but there was no verse 40. Chapter 1 ended with verse 18. What about Ezekiel, maybe? Wait a minute, I said. I suddenly remembered information I had read in one of the metaphysical books over the last three years. The chapter markers were only added in later. In the earlier years, Bible quotes were only counted by the verse number. I told Jude we should start reading at verse 40 after the beginning and and end on 57 verses after the beginning. We quickly did the math and realized that this would generate a quote of Ecclesiastes 2... 22 to 313. That was it. We had cracked the code. Best of all, the passage began with 222. That was quick. This was another repeating number synchronicity, just like the ones I had been seeing almost daily ever since I had started doing my UFO research. The opening number 222 felt absolutely like a part of the message, as if I was finally discovering the supernatural contact 
that all of these synchronicities had been leading me toward. And 222 is half of the 444 that appeared on his odometer uh, I do not I do not remember which version of the Bible I was reading from but this passage was but this passage from the New International Version is about as close as I can find online. Well, according to my numerology website uh, sunsigns.org 222 means faith and trust. <laughs> so there you go. Uh let's trust see. Trust comes first. That shout out 38 special in Shane Noir. Class what, murder. What uh what do Rome people streets. what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Now it was as if some higher intelligence was sitting up there with a Bible and found the single most important quote that I could have possibly heard at that time. The message was obvious. The mental ward was a really rough job, and it wasn't anywhere near as important for my future as I thought it would be. In <laughs> fact, those people. <laughs> in fact, the whole thing was meaningless. All right, that seems a little cruel, but uh, I, I would argue, uh, you know, helping people in need is not meaningless, but who am I? Now, I wrote this down, and I only know this because I read the book, but in St. Augustine's Confessions, which is a very famous book, uh. there's a scene in which he takes the Bible and looking for, like, a sign from God, uh, drops the book, and it falls open to a particular passage, right. and he reads it, and it's, like, the exact passage he needed to read at that time. Of course. And that's what sends him on his path. All right, well... So I was like, do you, well, is David well-read enough to have stolen that, or is this just incidental? We're about to do the same thing. Hold on. I'm a random Bible verse generator. This shit, I'm about to change our lives, bro. Uh, random Bible verse, dailyverses.net, by topics. No, I, that kind of ruins it. All right, here we go. The random Bible verse I got. Proverbs 10, 6. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Damn. Mouth? We're wicked. doing a podcast? Shit. Shit. We're talking about violence against David Wilcock? Black it's, Lives Matter? It's divine. Uh... Now I just need a, a crown on my head to be righteous. So we are prophets. We are. I am raw. <laughs> okay, so uh, <laughs> continuing on, he meets uh, some African lady. Uh, Third while, black character in the book. Uh, yeah, this is while he's on uh, on the train or the bus, and uh, he, he tells her something about the dream, and then I think he uh, asks her about uh, some sort of statue she had, and she goes... Or he says, uh, this is an ox, right? A beast of burden. You hitch up your plow to it, crack the whip, and get get it to dig out your crops all day for you. I wouldn't use the phrase crack the whip around a black person, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's me. The woman laughed. Oh, no, she said. This is a water buffalo, one of the three most dangerous animals in all of Kenya. If you th- see this animal and you are more than 300 feet away, you run like crazy. If you see, if you were one... If you see one closer than 300 feet, you pray for a quick death. That's a really weird thing to say to a stranger you just met. Yeah, uh, about an animal that doesn't exist on this continent. Yes, now... Or at least not in fucking New York. Perhaps David wasn't going to become a slave to the system to get a real job. Mm. The greater message was that I was not going to become a beast of burden at all. Instead, I had the potential to become a true warrior for the positive. I would never fully recover all the stupendous abilities I may have had in the higher densities, as the law of one source had indicated, but I could still make a difference in the world. My quote also featured the plural of the world ox, 
which suggested that I would help other people become spiritual warriors as well. Well, I would argue a warrior needs to be brave. And uh, I think if we've learned anything from this particular breakdown of this section of the book is David lacks uh, that sort of bravery to do things like uh, deliver pizza or work a fucking job. You know, those are stressful occupations. It's crazy, man. Sometimes you ever deliver a pizza and just uh, the bullets are flying everywhere. It's, it's uh, you know, it's hey in New York right now. That actually might be the case. Yeah, I don't know if he delivered pizza in fucking Islamabad or something. But yeah, he, so he continues on. We can skip some of this shit. He talks about some dude who discovers cement and natural <laughs> cement, I guess, and how that like sparked him the industrial his, revolution. I don't know. It wasn't very funny, but uh. In my research now, it completely convinced, had me completely convinced that the military-industrial complex already had this technology in great abundance, but were refusing to share it with the rest Duh. of us. Even if Artie's crystal gun was the one and only gift that we ever got declassified, <laughs> we would have anti-gravity and would be able to easily build massive pyramids once again. Oh, they're always big on anti-gravity. Yeah. Then they, he talks they about... fucking hate gravity. He talks about the earthquake... Uh... That was in Kern County. Then he mentions the Northridge earthquake. <clears throat> Shout out Northridge. Uh, that hit a populated, that one hit obviously a city instead of the other one hit a military base. I mean, it hit base. where we live. The fucking, the, uh, the chimney on my house fell down during the uh, Northridge quake. Mm -hmm. So after another quake in uh, China Lake, there was a black ops mission where various insiders suggested that nefarious covert aerosol spraying operations were being run out of the facility and poisoning our skies. Oh! On the I've, very next day, mm. July 16th, 2019, the notorious Jeffrey Epstein was indicted and arrested. I forgot about this. Yes, I believe I wrote a huge article about this all on July 7th. They do not huge see the is an understatement. If you find this article in Divine Cosmos... It's a short book. Yeah, it, it's like a legit 40-minute read. Yeah. I believe this was the work of an alliance that had formed within the government, military, and intelligence communities around the world... Earthquake weapons were used to take out a mission-critical base for the deep state, and then Jeffrey Epstein, a criminal who could expose the ugliest secrets of this secretive organization, was arrested. This was a major combined attack that, would, that could lead up to massive arrests of deep state, Illuminati, New World Order, cabal operatives, which my own source had been predicting since at least 1999. I hope that means Alex Jones is his source. Well, I guess if you predict something for 21 years, it might eventually happen. <laughs> Now, the happiest time of my life. Until I got together with my wife, Elizabeth, there was no question that the two previous years I spent in the schoolhouse from 1995 to 1997 were the happiest times of my life, despite the extreme difficulty of the jobs I ended up taking, particularly, particularly during the first six months. So David's best two years of his life were 95 to 97. I don't think he got married until like 2015. So it was a rough 20 years. He had a rough run. Until he met Curry, uh, Corey Good, and they fucking blew up. Yeah, but David gets a new apartment. I was able to set up my drum kit in the main gallery room, and Fuck I started yeah, improvising with a talented group of musicians from college, calling ourselves the Rosendale Jazz Project. We had Andy on keyboards, Jason on the upright bass. Are we supposed to know these people? Jim from upstairs on guitar, and yours truly on percussion. Jim we would from just stop, upstairs. We would just start playing with no agreed-upon agreed key signature, chords, or melodies. Yeah, that's how jazz works. And, it's, and if by some supernatural force, an amazing composition would start emanating from our instruments. 
You can listen to his music on YouTube, uh, folks, if you want. Just type in David Wilcock music. Okay, it's so not as bad as you would expect. Crazy people make good art. It's it's not great, but it's not bad. So uh, this is the story we'll close with, and it's okay. God, is it a good closer? Uh, <clears throat> everything went into overdrive when I got our latest phone bill in the mail in the the following month <laughs> in January. Soon after, I had finally gotten a job. It was well over $200. Almost the entire amount I owed was from breakup conversations with Yumi, <laughs> which would often descend into prolonged and very expensive <laughs> bouts of silence. I didn't have $200. That was basically my food for the month, and my parents had hardly anything to share, so I didn't dare ask them for a loan. Very expensive bouts of silence. <laughs> I was sitting at the table in our apartment with one of our deep blue and green Asian-style plates in front of me. My used napkin was resting on the plate. At that moment, I completely lost it and broke down crying. I didn't know what the hell to do. If you guys are real, and I know you are, then you need to show yourselves. Right now! I can't go on like this, please! Then I just sobbed and sobbed for several minutes. I finally pulled myself together and started looking out the huge windows. Wondering if a glowing craft would be waiting for me outside. Nothing. I put my hands together and tried to levitate the napkin on my plate. Nothing. Not even a little tickle. The beautiful paintings stared down at me with compassion, but I was truly lost. I started crying all over again. Finally, I realized that nothing was going to happen. I had to pull it together. I looked at the phone bill and remembered that I had ordered a special long-distance package for calling Japan at a deep discount. For some convenient reason, the phone company had never applied the discount. They had billed me for the full price of well over $2 a minute. I grabbed our funny little phone, which stood up straight on its four rubber feet, and called the company. A woman answered, and very politely, I explained my situation. After an excruciating pause while she looked through her system, she revealed that I was right. It was there in her notes, and they had made a mistake. By now, I had completely forgotten about my urgent prayer, but they definitely had not. Little did I know that Eric would wake up the next morning with a dream in which a Jesus-like being came out of a UFO to tell him, it is very important that you know that he, David, is one of us. Their ultimate message was to ask us to prepare for a massive solar system-wide event that is very similar to the Christian idea of the rapture. Okay. Namely, our entire planet is heading into a massive and irreversible Spiritual transformation. End of part one. So, uh, end of part two, actually. But so he's going in. Part two of the series, part one of the book. Yes. So we're now, this is where I'm guessing we're going to start getting into solar flares and prophecy next week. Now we. Because that, that was a pretty good tie off into, or uh, tie in rather, into a uh, tie off is what I want to do after listening to that. But, uh, that was a good tie-in to uh, where he goes with solar flares and the world ending. Yeah, it looks like and uh, pole <laughs> shifts and all that, all that jazz. Looks like we'll be jumping into the law of one and really uh, analyzing that. Which I feel the law oh, of fucking buckle up for that, folks. The law of one is probably the best way to inform yourself of many of uh, his thoughts and their origin because that really is kind of. Uh, a largely unknown but very inspirational source of uh, material for a lot of these guys. If any of you have uh, stuck with us through all of part one and part two, if you think that shit's been crazy, if he really gets into the law one, 
Yeah, the law of one. We're gonna kick it up a fucking notch. The law of one, as explained by an idiot, is probably pretty entertaining. Because the book itself, while filled with crazy shit, lacks being particularly funny. But David explaining it could be rather hilarious. Wow. All right. Well, once again, David Wilcock does not disappoint. No. Nope. Um, nope. I further walk away from this thinking he has an extreme personality disorder. It's definitely getting worse. And that's not a diagnosis, of course. That's my personal opinion. I think I think he suffers from I, I, incredibly grandiose narcissism. You know, that bullying was just so traumatic. Yeah. Maybe we need to get him smoking weed again. Maybe we need to, like, dull his dreams. Illuminatus products uh, coming to David Wilcox's house soon. Yeah, he lives in California. David, DM me your a- uh, address. <laughs> yeah, I definitely yeah. <laughs> won't use that for bad intentions. Uh-huh. And as always, come on the podcast. We'll, yes. we'll get you. We'll, David, we'll get your money. David, let us set up this dream a- analysis business. We can scam these people for so much guap. I feel like I just got to give you a hug, buddy. You, you, yeah. you need a fucking hug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're not we're not mad. We just want to talk. Yeah. No, like you said, we're we're I'm a, I'm upset with what you've done. Yeah. I'm not upset with you. Yeah, we're genuine fans. We're not going anywhere. We just have some questions. All right. The butcher's coming. Mamba out.